1: Connecting to the big show.
0: In three, two, one.
1: I just think it's an entitlement.
0: It's not rocket science. It can be dope. I truly believe it can.
1: It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850
0: 715 996.
1: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
0: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
1: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the conversation.
1: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
0: on Cork's 96FM.
3: Happy Monday. Beautiful Monday morning out there. Forecast's going to hold for the rest of the day and for tomorrow. Looking ahead to the June bank holiday weekend. Not quite yesterday now. Not quite yesterday, but not bad. Not bad. At least that's what I'm seeing so far. Where you were downtown at the weekend, I was driving in this morning at my usual time and turned down into the coal and you know what, we, we don't thank them enough. We don't actually stop and, well, in good times, shake their hands, but in days like today, just fist bump them or elbow bump them to say thank you, thank you, thank you again to the incredible guys with the carts And the sweeping brushes and the litter pickers that go around in the morning and clean up our junk that we didn't take home. Uh, I'll get to that a bit later on. But as I was coming through the cold kit this morning, ah, shortly after seven, like it was a bit like what you'd see after the first night of Electric Picnic. But the lads were there and they were picking it up and shoveling it into carts and gathering it together. So that by the time you get in to go to work this morning, it was all, hopefully, cleaned up to do a super job. To do a super job. But the amount of litter at the weekend was just disgraceful here and in Dublin. That's just one of a number of things I plan to give out about this morning. <laughs> However, it's an optimistic time. t-shirt spoke to us on Friday evening and told us that the end within our grasp if we hang on a little bit and wait till we all get our vaccine, we can open up gradually. We'll have the hotels this weekend coming. We'll have the open air dining and drinking on the 7th of June, which is just this day week. 5th of July, we can start drinking and dining indoors. Uh, we can start going to gigs and matches and events and a lot of test events coming up over the next couple of weeks and months. There's a plan. Uh, it's, it's slow. It's a lot slower than some people would like, but it's a plan. Uh, and I had to say watching Micheál Martin on Friday evening, I felt that, you know, if we do just stick with it for another little while, we will get there. We're not there just yet. We're a bit like the train from Dublin to Cork that's how I would think. We're like the train from Dublin to Cork, we've come through Leash and we've come through Ballybrofi and all those awful places. Nothing wrong with Ballybrofi, but we've come through all those places. And now we're in Mallow and we're on the last run into Cork and we really don't want to get caught in a siding on the way between Mallow and Cork. And that's kind of where I think we are right now. And a lot of people express worry over the weekend. But I want to talk to a man, a man we haven't had on the Opinion Line in, in quite some time. I want to talk about that and a number of other things to Professor Sam McConkey from the Royal College of Surgeons. Sam, good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. Thanks Love, for lovely me. to speak with you again. It's, it's been it's been a while, Sam. I want before I get on to where we are and the events of the weekend and all of that. The reason I want to talk to you was over the weekend there was something about. The vaccines that people might get a different jab for their second one. And you used a very big word about that. And I wanted you to tell me what it is and explain it because from what you were saying, I, I, I got the impression that it might work really well.
4: Yeah. So it's called a heterologous. Prime boost tet something different from the first one, and Prime boost is we give a first shot and then a second one to reinforce it really strongly, and that it is an area that you know years ago I, I did some of the first human trials in this and it does work very well. It's the idea of giving a a, a, a vaccine the second time that's a slightly different variant on the first, so it is the same. Uh, sort of spike protein of, of, of SARS-CoV-2 in it but the carrier mechanism is either a different adenovirus or even the idea of giving the messenger RNA, the Pfizer, Moderna vaccine as uh, the second boost to an AstraZeneca first vaccine and there's in theoretical reasons why this can work very well, better even than given the same dose twice. So that's, that's what many people are considering. There's studies going on that seems to produce good antibodies and, and it looks very safe to do that. So that's a completely sensible, reasonable option that I, I think we might be the future. Like
3: I've had my, my two Pfizers and I'm a few days I'm a few days short of bulletproof, but I'm I'm looking forward to it as it were. I know loads of people who've had their first AstraZeneca and because the gap is very long and the supply chain's been a bit of a disaster, should we be looking at that other option?
4: I think it is, it is a realistic option. If we had enough Pfizer vaccine uh, to, to, to give those second doses, then that's a very realistic option, particularly because this new variant, B one six one seven that everyone's worried about, has been taken off in three or four parts of England, like Bolton and Blackpool and so on. The English have shown very clearly that if you have two doses of vaccine, two doses of of vaccine that protects you well but if you only one dose it doesn't really protect against this new uh, 617 variant so getting your second dose all of us getting our second dose is is profoundly important
3: now in terms of it not protecting you let's let's tease that out a little bit sam is it that you're not protected and that you can get it or is it that you're not protected in that you can end up in hospital or an ICU, which well, un- is it?
4: Unfortunately, it's a bit of both. Unfortunately, it's a bit of both, PJ. They, they showed that there was more people getting sick, more people getting ICU uh, if they'd only had one vaccine, whereas in those who'd been doubly vaccinated, which in fairness is nearly half the UK adult population, yeah. they, they, they weren't suffering from this B617 in, in terms of getting sick or hospitalisation at all. So it's a bit of both, unfortunately.
3: Okay. Now, our big problem at the moment, I think with the the cyber attack on the HSE... I used to do the numbers here once,
4: twice a week. <laughs> I've stopped, because I can't find them. Oh, I well, I used to do them every day. You'll be, you'll be surprised yeah. to find out. And from China, Northern Ireland, Britain, and five other countries. So and What's you're really right, worrying to... is we can't trace where the problem is anymore. Exactly. So we've only got three numbers now. We know the total number of COVID cases yesterday. We know the number of people in hospital with COVID, which is happily start- coming down, and the number of people in ICU in this country, which is actually coming down steadily over the last two months as well. So I am reassured by the numbers we do have, at yeah. present the opening up that we've done in Ireland, the 29th of March, opening schools, opening domestic construction and so on, all the things we've done tonight has actually been okay. Things mm. have actually gradually got better. So the numbers are enough to know, um, you know, that to be reassured that the opening up we've done four, five, six weeks ago has been fine. But you're right. You're asking, where do these 400 cases um, arise from? And we, we actually don't know that. Whereas in the past, they were telling it's the young, the old, they tell you the county. You could even see where the outbreaks were. So I think what I'd like to see is... The last seven days of of COVID cases, which is about 3,000 cases, tell us, please, from the contact tracing in an anonymous way, because we don't want to know names and dates and places. But how many of those were outbreaks in households? How many were in workplaces? How many were here and there, schools, colleges and so on? And that helps us then. How many were in nursing homes? That helps us then to control those optimally. I think rather than just, you know, giving out about people socializing, because, you know, we are social animals, if I can say it to we're social animals. And I think people getting out, what I saw was actually mostly people in small little groups of six or eight people over the weekend, outdoors, on the grass, in public areas, just shooting the breeze, really. Just, you know, having a little bit of a food, bit of an ink, bit of a natter. And so that is what human life is for, to be frank with you. That's far better than house parties. It's far better than the six people indoors. So I, I, in fairness, was personally really happy to see small groups of people all over the greens, public green spaces near where I live just scattering the, the promenade and, and just enjoying the, the, the breeze. And if we can yeah. do that in small numbers with less than six or six or, six or less, then, then we're actually hopefully continuing to be okay and, and continue this very stepwise, gradual, cautious reopening. Take a little step, watch it carefully for three, four, five weeks, and then if everything's okay, release a bit more. That's what we've been doing on that journey for the last two months and so far so good
3: Did you agree with Dr Houlihan's tweet on Saturday night and the scenes the film the videos that went around
4: Well I didn't watch I'm not great at watching that stuff so I didn't see it Now he's a smart fellow and he's been doing public health for 30 years so I'm sure he saw things that he wasn't happy with that were almost certainly outside of our national guidelines. So I, I, I'm sure he's good reason for that. But my, my views, I think the vast majority of the country is sticking within what's been asked which is outdoors and, and six or less people. So um, we don't want, you know, a, a scene outdoors where you have, you know, 200 people shoulder to shoulder. Almost like, do you remember like what an old pub used to look like? Six people deep shoulder to shoulder, drink coming over, a bit of Sam, you know, I missed that. I'm I miss that. Body fluids spilling on each other, a bit of, you know, maybe a bit of saliva spilling, certainly some drinks spilling on each other. So that, that, that's not, not what we want. That's bad for coronavirus. Coronavirus will spread in that environment. We miss so it though. We miss it. Well, we miss it. Well, hopefully, the good news is that hopefully, if we get all these doses of vaccines that were promised in the next sort of two or three months, and get the vast majority of our adult population vaccinated, it's now licensed for people over 12. So yeah. so you could potentially give it down, down to everyone over 12. And the, the kids, you know, largely stay within their families. They're not gonna out in hundreds of people, small children under 12 aren't going out in, in, in hundreds of them together. So I, I think there's a hope that, you know, two, three months down the line, the vaccination is going at 300,000 vaccines per week. They're amazing the way it's rolling out now that they've yeah. got the supply going. So that continues for another couple of months. Then hopefully we will get shoulder to shoulder, spilling drinking each other in a crowded <laughs> pub again.
3: Yeah. With regard to the the, 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 the programme and, and the, ro- the rollout, I, it's the efficiency of it. My, my mission, went for her first jab Saturday and couldn't get over the efficiency of it. Yeah, she really yeah, was impressed. Yeah. And and they're flying through it and they're doing really well. Yeah. But we have this thing where, look, young people will do what young people do. They'll go out on a sunny weekend and they'll gather in the streets. Is there a case to be made, Sam McConkey for starting at the other end and working until we meet in the middle to start calling in? In the north now, they're calling in the over-18s. Like, could we start calling in the overrides and working up from the other end.
4: I I wouldn't recommend that I would recommend continuing this de-escalating ages as we're doing you know the 40s are being called uh, this week and then it'll be 35 year olds and plus and then 30 year olds because they're still at significant risk of of getting sick with this thing whereas the 18 year olds have less chance of getting sick getting bad lung failure and end up in hospital But would they not spread it to the vulnerable? They could they could spread it but the hope is that they're vulnerable over 50s and over 40 year old relatives are all vaccinated so so they are spreaders and vectors that's certainly true So I I think we have to protect sort of, if you look at it utilitarian-wise, the best benefit for the best number of people, Mm. I believe the numbers will come out that vaccinating the older people first, as we've done, was was the right choice. And and continuing that age de-escalation, if we can use a sort of a technical term, coming down to age. So I I think going for the 18-year-olds wouldn't be the way, even though they they can be vectors. I think it's a matter of the 18-year-olds finding their social group. Choose six people that they're (laughs) friends with and hang out outdoors with those six people and and get out Yes, if, if the rest
3: of us don't like it, stay away, kind of exactly, thing. Exactly, Just, exactly. Just uh, one listener was on the phone here. We, we have most of our vaccines, Sam, are two, two doses, but w- yet we have the, the Johnson & Johnson, the, the one-shot wonder. Where are you with that one? Is that as effective, or will that need a top-up?
4: Um, I think they'll probably all need top-ups. This is a really big question. how long will all of these vaccine protection last? Almost certainly not not lifelong. We might need in one, two or three years a booster shot like we need for other vaccines. We don't know the answer to when we need a top-up for any of the vaccines yet, but it's likely we'll need a booster top-up. We might need another top-up, PJ, because unfortunately many of us are worried about a a new variant of concern that might arise somewhere in the world and be reintroduced in Ireland that might actually spread widely and cause disease in vaccinated people. Mm. Is there,
3: a, is there is there a realistic prospect, and I'm going to use the word even though I know that scientists don't, but for the sake of layman's language, is there a possibility, Sam, of a vaccine proof variant?
4: Oh, yes. It is is possible to find a variant that would be able to transmit and cause disease in people who have been vaccinated. And that's why many of us are worried about the widespread opening up of international travel. And I understand the Irish travel industry is, is huge and really important to our economy. But bringing in new variants, especially one that might transmit and cause disease and vaccinate people, would be a huge step backwards. And that's why I think we need to be cautious about that.
3: Can we talk also about antigen tests? I listened to a very interesting discussion on radio over the weekend about antigen tests. Okay. There, there seems to be a resistance among our public health leaders here in the introduction of antigen tests. Yeah. Nefert in particular, seem they seem opposed to it. Where, where, where do you stand on antigen testing?
4: Um, so the problem is that they give you what are called false negatives when you compare them to the PCR test that we've all been using and doing. So people can be falsely reassured. Maybe in the first three four days, when they're still incubating COVID-19, it'll give you a false negative as the PCR would be positive. So you think you're negative based on a, an antigen test, but really you're infected. Where I think they've a niche is let's say five or ten thousand of us were going into Croke Park to watch a football match, mm-hmm. and We're all going in for a two or three hour period, maybe a couple of matches, let's say three or four hours. And we want to know, are the other 9,999 still all negative on the answer test? So going into an event where you're only interested in, are all the people negative for the next three hours? It's more reliable to predict the sort of immediate current status and the next three hours. So going into a big event like a, a rock concert or a pop concert, that might be a way to sensibly risk manage and risk mitigate starting large scale big music concerts, uh, drama, and and football matches, you know, where you'd have thousands and thousands of people together. Everyone would do an antigen test on the way, in. they're very quick, they're relatively painless, and they're cheap. They're about sort of a euro each, which, you know, for a ticket for a good match, adding a euro to it isn't 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 a deal breaker, hmm. if it allowed a football match to go ahead safely. So I think they have a role... Would those who are fully vaccinated have to do that? You know, that's a really good question. The The... The challenge with vaccination is that even though we say 90% effective PJ what 90% effective means of course 10% ineffective so occasionally you do get vaccine breakthrough and it can be different with different vaccines and that may increase over time so I suppose I would want to see more evidence until I decide on that it would depend on the the pattern of COVID-19 circulating in Ireland or in the country at that time and if there was much going on in vaccinated people then then you might want to include vaccinated people in the antigen test but that's not a problem if it's only one euro, and it only takes a few seconds. A bit like a, you know, those pregnancy test kits. I'm guessing you probably haven't done one yourself, no, maybe not. No. But you know the general idea: <laughs> little card thing, put a yeah. drop of blood on it, and then a, maybe a, a reagent, and then 15 minutes later, it gives you an answer, and you're either clear or positive. And obviously, if you're positive, you wouldn't be going into the sporting event, you wouldn't be going into the music event. You'd have to stay at home, basically. You'd have to not. You'd only be allowed in with the negative antigen test in the sort of hour before the event. Mm-hmm. In that situation, I think it has a real role uh, in keeping those events safer, but for incoming travellers from other countries, as I said the worry my worry is that they they do lead to false negatives that can be falsely reassuring people say, oh my antigen test was negative, I'm okay I'll I'll just go around normally, and that could introduce a a, a new variant to us Mm.
3: Two two last brief ones to, to finish Sam, first of all, someone on the phone, and again I read about this over the weekend, is there something happening in Vietnam we should be concerned about?
4: I'll pass on that. I have to confess, I kind of took the weekend... There's a variant. ...partially off, so yeah. There's a, there's well, there, there, yeah, there, I mean, there are variants widely around the world, particularly... As you know, big countries like India, where there's a big population and a big surge in cases, that's the exact environment where new variants can and will and do emerge, where there's a lot of uh, replication. Vietnam, up until recently, has had a very good pandemic, very good public health, and and they reacted very early. They were one of the Asian countries that they had a COVID-19 control plan on the shelf from five or eight years ago, from a previous one they had Mm -hmm. called SARS-1 and MERS, so they were able to implement that. So The data I look in Vietnam, it's about two weeks ago since I looked at the last okay. and it was doing very very well so I can't
3: comment on what's happened this okay. last few days Okay, let, let, we'll let that go, you're entitled to a day off just like anybody else Finally Sam, when I first spoke to you it's over a year ago now about in the very very early days of this you frightened the bejesus out of me yeah. you really did and out of a lot of listeners and but look come, come to us 15 months later um, we've done well realistically haven't we, we've done very well as a, as a nation yeah. of people
4: yeah I, I know it's a it's a very very crude um sort of measure of success but ultimately this this um virus has been causing an awful lot of deaths. And if you look at sort of deaths per, per million people, let's say in Ireland, compared to other EU countries or Britain, we, we're actually about uh, half the number. So, so we, we've actually done relatively well compared to many of our EU partners and, and Britain. Now, some of that might be the fact that we're a little island. Some of it might be that we're, we're relatively socially cohesive, even though, you know, we can, we can have our argy bargies, but we're basically all sort of able to work together when we, when we really need to. And thirdly, a lot of us, like the Sligo, Leitrim, Kerry and rural people, they're out in the middle of nowhere, if you like. Now, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Monmouth, <laughs> so I'm not saying anything pejorative about the individuals there, but that's actually an advantage. If you're living in a small village or a, or a, a, a farm hamlet, you know, a house a quarter mile from every other house as I grew up in, you're actually safer been stuck in a really urban congested area like parts of London where there's you know thousands of people per square kilometre. So there may be some structural factors that have helped us in this but, but we have actually come out of this you know better than Sweden mm. in, as well which is one of the countries that was trumpeted early on certainly better than US. And the
3: CSO death figures people are trumping that oh the CSO death figures are as flat as they always were so there really wasn't anything to worry about in the first place. Can we address that one briefly?
4: So um, there are that, that is relatively true at this point now in, in, in the end of May 2021 that, that our deaths are, are now very much at what you'd expect to be. Unfortunately, in January and February of this year, we had about a 1,000 more deaths in this country than we would have expected in January 2021, similarly in February. So all that kind of opening up in December... At a simple level, had about a thousand extra deaths in, in January. But there is there is—it's very easy looking back five or ten years to see how many deaths you expect uh, in a particular month. And, and we had a big surge, then. we also had a, had a surge back in March and April of 2020 at the beginning of it, as everyone knew. So I, again, there were something like uh, two to three thousand extra deaths. And so we did have surges. But then, do you know what's really interesting? Once we all got um, socially distanced from each other to deal with COVID, other other viruses like influenza and many other respiratory has actually got less yeah. and I, I, some occupational health um, staff tell me that they've lower sickly from people working from home in the last year than they actually had previously when people working in office so some many of us have actually been healthier less snuffles less sleezes, less less everything now i will i will say rates of gonorrhea and chlamydia have also gone down dramatically yeah. now whether that's lack of detection or lack of diagnosis we, we don't know uh things like campylobacter which is a bacteria that causes food poisoning from undercooked chicken to some extent has actually gone up this year. It may be that we on our home barbecues, they are not cooking our chicken as well as the professional <laughs> chefs in the restaurants are doing it. When you go to a restaurant, they cook it properly and it's all professionally they know what they're doing. Whereas we at home maybe haven't been so good. So there is, interestingly, a little bit of a rise in, in food poisoning. Mm. Um, so there has been a change in the last two years in death and disease, but certainly we've had our really bad months, particularly March and April of last year and January and February of this year, definitely very bad, and in around 4,000, 5,000 extra deaths. But now they've actually come down, which is, is, is great. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it all levels it it's, it's itself out at the end of the day exactly always good to speak with you thank you very much professor Sam McConkey, um from the royal college of surgeons thank you sam 185715996 we're not yet best text wants to know do children need a vaccination certificate to travel abroad there are no vaccinations for anyone under 12 or even under 18 at the moment so that your children will have to have tests clear tests before they go, that's the latest on that David says Professor Sam is right in what he's saying about it being much better than house parties being out in the open air but I've seen at least a dozen social media posts from people who were all down the quayside and later on we're all back at house parties I can't see anything other than the number climbing quickly from what we're seeing around Cork at the weekend Galway and Dublin got the headlines says Michael, but Cork wasn't much much better You can't put an old head on young shoulders. I guess you can't, but they're not all kids in there either. Donald says he's 66, registered on the HSE portal on the 19th of April Wow, still hasn't been vaccinated. He's contacted them nine times and has been told he's in the system. His GP isn't vaccinating people. That's a problem, Donald. That's a real problem. It is a bit random sometimes. I have two friends. There's a year between them. She's older. Uh, He's got his first jab, she or he's getting it, she hasn't been called yet. They both registered on the same day. So it is happening. Uh, you just, I'd, I'd say just keep pummeling your GP. Maybe your GP can send you somewhere else. Maybe you could go to another GP. 66 years of age and not had your first dose yet, Donald. That's a problem. That is a problem. You've fallen through the cracks there. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six.
5: Can we just talk
3: the opinion line
1: on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread,
0: 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Uh. Cork's 96 FM invites you to take part in the Cork City Virtual Marathon over the coming weeks, culminating on the June bank holiday weekend, with over 1,000 runners already signed up. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to get out and hit the streets. Join a relay team or go solo in the half or full marathon. Alive. Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie. CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Cork City Virtual Marathon, Half Marathon and Relay. Open now until the June Bank Holiday Weekend. Feeling alive. With Cork's
3: 96FM. Kevin has a question. He said, I got a date for the jab. Great, but I've been told I have to quarantine now for 14 days after coming back from the UK. It's a case that I, Is it a case I just keep cancelling until the 14 days runs out or get a clear PCR for which I have to go up to the city to get it. I would suggest, Kevin, that if you got a text message with your appointment in it, check the text message. There is a phone number there. I would suggest you call that number. That's the 1850-247-247 number, I think. Uh, it's or one of those numbers. It, but definitely there is a no num- if if you got a, a text message to give you your appointment, they, they check the text message. There's a phone number in it. And I would strongly suggest you give that number a ring. And Kev, just for the five seconds it will take on behalf of myself and the team and all of the listeners to the opinion line, we are sorry, or were very sorry to learn of your loss last week. And our thoughts are with you and the rest of the family. Thank you, Kevin. 1850 715 996. I was mentioning as I came on air this morning that I drove through the cold Cay early and saw the incredible job of work there to be done by our cleaning staff in the city and we don't thank them often enough and we don't thank them loudly enough but I tell you, they had a job of work this morning that you wouldn't have had after the first days of electric picnic when we used to have electric picnic and they did a super job and if you came in this morning and saw lovely clean streets by half nine, it's it's down to that team of people with their carts and their brushes and their litter pickers they did a remarkable job uh, every morning, but Over the weekend, there was 12 people arrested in Cork for public order with big crowds in Kennedy Quay, big crowds on the Grand Parade down at the Port of Cork. And look, most people were getting out into their groups, enjoying the sunshine, having a takeaway point, having a bit of grub. There's no harm in any of it. But if the crowd gets too big, it has to be dispersed. We can't have big crowds. We can have little groups. We cannot have big crowds. It just isn't safe. Plus, we had the litter problem over the weekend. Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Cavanaugh. Joe, good morning to you.
6: Good morning, PJ.
3: And and I think we can't overstate how grateful we should be to our cleaning staff this morning for, for making the place presentable again. But should they really have to deal with that kind of a mess?
6: No, absolutely not, PJ. And in fairness to our cleaning staff in Cork City Council, they're out there 365 days a year. They do fantastic work, and we don't, as you say, and you're 100% right, we, we don't thank them half enough. And um, they do a great job and present our city in a real positive light, and light in terms of cleanliness and so on. Uh, I mean, you know, there's lots of voluntary groups go, go out around the city at weekends and so on, tidy towns groups, I'm part of one myself, and on a voluntary basis and tr- do the best we can to try and keep the place clean. But what went on over the weekend, PJ, is a worry, and you are right. Um, you know, there's no problem if people observe the guidelines, the recommended regula- regulations, health regulations that are out there, and um, you, uh, you're listening to people like Sam McConkey and, and Luke O'Neill. Um, and I was reading something that Luke O'Neill spoke to Brendan O'Connor about on RT last week when he mentioned the B1617 vir- uh, variant. The Indian variant, which, yeah, yeah, which 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 is a worry. Um, uh, and what worries me more than anything and he made a direct reference to the large gatherings in Dublin, he said, um, and he, this guy knows what he's talking about, um, he said, look, this is highly transmissible, this particular variant. There was 155 cases, PJ, up to the end of last week. That's right. And it's increasing rapidly.
3: 170-something as of this morning, yeah.
6: Really? I didn't know that. Thanks, yeah. for, t- thanks for that information. Um, but by the same token, it's rising at a rapid rate, and it does transmit very, very easily, uh, even in outdoor settings, as well as indoor settings, it doesn't really make any distinction as such. So, you know, his question was, how many people had th- that particular variant? What, was it, was it um, there on, in Dublin, for example, when they had large crowds gathering? Was it there in Cork and Galway, in various other places? Mm. So, look, we, we need the whole firm and people... That get, you kind of, you, as you know yourself, you kind of have a garden every street corner 24-7, and we have to take personal responsibility... For our actions, and look, I understand young people are frustrated and they want to get out, meet their friends, and they're studying from home and they're working from home and everything else. But look, we're, we're almost there. We're we're not too far away with the with the the high speed vaccination and um, process that's there at the moment, and we're getting through the vaccines at, um, you know, a very fast rate, and it's never fast enough. And we're vaccinating as many people as possible. And even though we're still at looking at vaccinating the guardie as a cohort, which I'm very annoyed by. And and you're fantastic at highlighting that because I think that's a sector that, needs, that was overlooked.
3: Now, I know personally, um, I'm, I'm hearing privately, Joe, that, that, that a lot of guards are being vaccinated now, particularly the, the more senior lads, because they've been around a few years. They're getting vaccinated in turn on the way down. But I would still contend, and I would agree with you, Lord Mayor, it's yeah. a disgrace that there wasn't one week given over to vaccinating our Gardaí, Chihana, as oh, of course.
6: I couldn't agree more because, you know something, PJ... We, you come on your show every Monday morning, and you talk about an incident that happened over the weekend. And if there's an incident, who do you call? Like you call the guards, mm. yeah. And they're plunged into a frontline situation. They they don't know what kind of uh, vulnerable situation they're going to find themselves in, minute by minute, yeah, uh, of every day, yeah. you know. So I, they really, I think, they were significantly overlooked. I think it was a huge mistake.
3: Yeah, it could still it could still be done, but look, it's it's probably a horse that has bolted. Unfortunately, Lord Mayor, we coming up to uh, a June weekend. The weather yeah. is promising. It doesn't look like we'll have three days of yesterday or three days of today, but it looks relatively promising. So people will get out. They will gather. What preparations? And by then, we'll you know it's inevitable they will. What preparations can the council make? Well, the
6: council. To be honest with you, the council can only do what the council can do in terms of maintaining their streetscape, in terms of cleaning up. Um, Bins, we have bins around the city, but they fill up very quickly, as you know, PJ. Mm. And you you never have enough bins with the amount of cans and bottles and all this sort of stuff you'll find around the place. Um, I think the Gardaí really will, in fairness to them, do the very best they can in Mm -hmm. very difficult circumstances. But to be honest with you, I think the key responsibility here lies with the public. And I really do, I'm just asking people, if you're planning to go out over next weekend, the bank holiday weekend, please manage your movements very carefully and try and avoid gathering in large crowds. And I know this, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, really, to be honest with you. But this is the key advice from people who know what they're talking about. The people like the Sam McConkeys and the Luke O'Neill's and all the various... Mm. Um, health experts that with, this, with these variants that are coming in uh, vaccine or no vaccine uh, well actually the vaccines are supposed to be quite um, effective against these variants yeah. but um, they, they were voicing their concerns about potential variants that could come on stream. Yeah, but, small, but
3: small groups is what is what matters. Now yes. no one, I heard no one raising this point over the weekend and I put it to you these gatherings, such as happened in Dublin, such as happened in Galway, yeah. and such as happened here in Cork, they are still contrary to regulation. So they shouldn't be happening. So should if, if the council puts in extra bins and seats, they're encouraging something that couldn't be happening. So you're kind of caught in a rock in a hard place, aren't you? Well,
6: well, Cork City Council aren't putting in extra bins or seats. Hmm. Um, no, I mean, like we're, we're we're managing what we have.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, I mean Cork City Council have got hundreds and thousands of bins throughout the city you know yeah. there's never enough bins you'll always have someone coming on your show and saying we haven't got enough bins um, but it's up to people to use what's there and take their litter home Yeah. Um, you know but just the photographs that we saw on the media uh, and as you alluded to yourself in the cold case, uh places like Dublin and Cork and Galway and so on that have been severely littered I mean the Cork City Council are not going to facilitate large gatherings PJ Yeah, and I mean it's up to the Gardaí to police it and it's all very well to say the Gardaí should go in and fine everybody Um, but look at the end of the day a certain amount of responsibility and quite a lot of responsibility goes down to the individuals Mm. uh, who organise and also I suppose when, when there's alcohol readily available as well PJ uh, it, it is a difficult situation to, to manage as well. In ter- look, Talking from a Garda point of view now as well, the Garda are frustrated at the amount of alcohol outlets that are available, the, the amount of pubs that are selling uh, takeaway pints and takeaway drinks of all descriptions and so mm. on. Yeah. Um, that, that, that doesn't make the situation any easier. And I fully understand... Businesses have to make money and they have to survive. It's been a really difficult 15 months. But the worst thing that could possibly happen, PJ, is that we, and as Leo Veradker uh, alluded to over the weekend in some interview he did, um, we could end up having um, a lockdown, a regional lockdown imposed on us if there's a spike in our area mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know. So that's something we, we really do need to avoid. Yeah. Because our businesses have had it tough enough and we don't want to make it any tougher for them, you know, yeah. as and, they're opening
3: their doors. And that's a crucial point you've just made there, Lord Mayor, to finish. You, you said that the council is not going to facilitate large gatherings because at the moment those gatherings are not permitted under the regulation.
6: Well, we're not going to create a situation where we provide seating and provide all the sort of stuff down in Kennedy Key or any of these places, you know. Firstly, it's not our land, it belongs to Port of Cork. And the council have, have authority and have um, authority over roads and over the, the public-owned areas as such. But uh, areas now such as Bellfield, that Cork City Council uh, manage, and so on, and uh, the lock and places like that. Cork City Council will have people park, have people on site uh, cleaning up and managing it and, and so on. But, but we can't police it. It's up to the guardie to police it. Mm-hmm. And in fairness to them, they're doing the very best they can. Um, you know, and look, they have had to give out, the public unit had to give out, uh, had, to, had to arrest 12 people on Saturday night, which was regrettable, but there's nothing you can do about that. You mm. know? But mm. well, we can't arrest people, but we're not going to, or, we're not going to organise, Cross City Council, our no council, will we'll come along and organise, to the best of my knowledge, will organise uh, and facilitate big events, of, of which it comes into contravention of the city bylaws in particular.
3: Mm. Or the public health guidelines. Lord Mayor, thank you very much. That's Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Joe Cavanagh, 1850-715-996. I tell you, it was brewing yesterday on Twitter, a simple little idea that I've been baiting a drum on here for a very long time. A simple little idea. So you go to the off-licence, okay? This might not dawn on you now. So I'm going to patronise it and tell you. You go to the off-licence and you buy your half a dozen cans or your nagging or your shoulder or whatever you're going to get, right? And it comes in a bag. You get a little plastic bag with it, okay? Why not, when you've finished your can... Maybe you're going to laugh at me now, but I'm going to say it anyway. Why not, when you've finished your can, put it down under your foot, squash it, and stick it back into the plastic bag you took it out of? And take that little plastic bag home with you. Or, at very worst, when you're done, tie a little knot in the plastic bag and put it into the bin. Would that be too much to ask? And if the bin is full, if the bin is full, well, maybe put it down next to it. But don't leave it strewn up and down the street. And if you're going walking home, bring it with you and put it into your own bin at home. 1850 And there's an answer, I think, from the Lord Mayor to anyone who thinks that there should be truckloads of bins and seats and toilets coming in for people. These gatherings are not permitted at the present moment under public health guidelines. The Council is not going to facilitate those gatherings by bringing in more bins and more seats and all that. Why should they? Why should a local authority go? What we'll be doing would be facilitating the breaching of public health guidelines.
5: 1850 Can we
3: just talk? The Opinion
1: Line on Cork's 96 FM. With
0: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Let me show you what
1: it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
0: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM
1: Race through your afternoon in Cork With all your favourite tunes from the biggest names Hello, I'm Nishka Kapali.
0: This is Dua Lipa Hi, this is Ollie from Years and Years I'm giving you incredible
7: prizes Absolutely amazing, thank you so much So if you're at work, working from the kitchen table I'm listening to you on Alexa
1: Or picking up the kids on the school run Make sure you're with me Thank you very much,
6: loving the show Thank you.
1: Show you what it's all about Simon Murdoch, midday to 4pm With Sean Cusack
0: Insurance's Sale, Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie On
3: Corks 96FM PJ gave me a great laugh for a Monday morning You said people should take their rubbish home with them a lot of them can barely find their way home <laughs> Let alone take their rubbish Yeah, you're not wrong, unfortunately But I know I do believe that And from the time I was a small boy, I was always taught, bring home even a sweet wrapper or a crisp packet. Stick it in your pocket, bring it home and put it into the bin. I was taught it. I taught it to my kids. And I I look around at the weekend and I see what's being left. And I think, did anyone teach their children anymore to bring their stuff home? Rita says, why don't they put more bins around the city? Well, as the Lord Mayor said, Rita, they would then be facilitating these gatherings, which they're not going to do. Claire, when I was coming to work this morning, the magazine road had bins turned over and broken glass bottles and pizza boxes thrown on the road. Shocking. Yeah, it was. And the coal cave was pretty grotty as well, Claire, But thanks to our wonderful council cleaners, they will get out and clean it up. Thank you for that. Uh, Chloe, there's 100% not enough bins in Cork. Yesterday, I walked from the gates of UCC down Mardyke Walk. Didn't come across one bin till I got to North Main Street. The bins in town are scarce and tiny for our population in general anyway. Well, as I drove down the cold kit, and I can only go by what I observed this morning at about, what was it, five or ten past seven. There were huge skips, not just bins, huge big skips full to bursting. Like, how big do you want a bin to be? And do you want a bin for everybody in the audience? No, you don't. Just we might maybe one or two more grand. But take your stuff home. Among the things that he announced on Friday evening, the Taoiseach said that cinemas and drive-ins and theatres can reopen after the 7th of June. There's also going to be some test events for live gigs, music, comedy, up and down the country. One of them will be at the Cork Opera House uh, with the Irish... Uh, National Opera on the 10th of July now Eileen Gleeson is the CEO at the Opera House I know Eileen the details are being put together as we speak so so you're not entirely up to speed on what exactly will happen and how it will work but delighted to have an event anyway, good morning
8: Hi good morning PJ, yes we're absolutely delighted, like it's actually a real privilege to be involved in this PJ you know like this is really the beginning of our industry coming back And we hope that this event will allow us then to set the roadmap for us to ultimately get back to full capacities, you know, um, sooner rather than later. So, yes, we don't know the full detail yet. We do know that we're joining forces with Irish National Opera, who are, you know, our our fantastic national opera company. um, And they're going to put a program on our stage um, for live audiences in the house, which is so exciting Mm. and we can't wait.
3: What is your capacity at the Opera House when in normal times, shall we say?
8: It's been in and around the thousand people, and um, in, in when when you know that's every, everybody seated, and it, if that increases, then sometimes when we take the seats out, you know, yeah. for standing gates. Um, so we think we'll be at somewhere. You know, I think we can get to somewhere around the three hundred, four hundred mark. Like we're not entirely sure yet of yes. the details, and yes. it will be socially distanced. And we expect there to be masks and we expect, you know, and I think for the opera house, the real priority here is to make sure that the patients coming in feel safe and that their safety is prioritized. Because, you know, what's really clear out of this is that when people, you know, are able to go out again and are able to come back into the opera house, you know, like it was in, in normal times before. That they feel safe and they feel that we are taking, you know, we are a place of of public mass gatherings. Like we have to take people's safety really seriously and we are doing that.
3: Because I know, speaking very personally, Eileen, myself and my son, we really, really miss going to stuff together, gigs and shows and Mm -hmm. concerts and just can't wait to get back in.
8: I mean, PJ, like we, you know, we will be there for that. You know, I mean, that is our job coming out of this pandemic. Like this has been a really tough, traumatic time for people. And, you know, not having access to live arts has been really, really difficult for people. And we see our role now as a way of helping people process what they've been through over the last year and a half. And, of you know, offering, up, offering opportunity for joy and celebration and happiness and coming together. And, you know, that's what we will be focused on now coming out of this, like it's, a, it's going to be a really positive time for us and we're looking forward to our recovery and we know that people still want to come back to the Opera House and we can see that there's still real interest in, in our programme for next year and beyond, you know, so it's a good time, it's going to be yeah. a good time for us.
3: And assuming that everything goes back to normal by the end of the year or as close to normal as we can get under the circumstances, you do have a fairly packed programme in for late 21, early 22?
8: yeah i mean we're we're hoping, and like we're we're- you know we're feeling um we're feeling positive about um being open towards the end of the year, and we hope that will be the case i mean these test events now are the first step in us getting there, you know, yeah. and obviously we can't guarantee anything and we can't say anything for sure, but we're certainly planning to be open. And, um, you know, we're planning to, you know, have a jam-packed program of, of, like, really great, um, high-quality events, you know, and looking towards, you know, um, we we obviously can't make a decision yet in relation to the panel, but we would be really hopeful about it, you know. know.
3: Well, Um, Eileen, when when you do have more detail, and I appreciate this morning you don't, when you do have more detail of the event on the 10th, I'd love to chat with you again about how it's all going to work for people.
8: I'd be delighted to, PJ, no problem.
3: And I think myself, I'm just going to say this, I I think the first... This is going to sound daft, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think the first time I get to sit in a seat and watch a live performance, I think I think I will weep with joy.
8: Yeah, yeah, of course, PJ. I think that there'll be a lot of people with you on that one
3: Caller was on to say they organise social dancing and want to know will they be allowed to have that indoors from July. Caller, the simple answer to that question is I do not know. Whether we can find out or not, we'll see. 1850 Jim says he's in Middleton. In all fairness to the council, there's lots of bins around the town, but the problem is people who have loads of rubbish in their cars are putting it in the bins around the town. I all a thing at the weekend where in Sligo the council did an experiment. They had a particularly popular beach in County Sligo. I'm not too sure what one it was. Maybe it was it is Bundoran up around that neck of the woods. Anyway, one very popular beach in County Sligo had a severe litter problem. They were coming back every day and finding that the bins were stuffed full and loads of stuff thrown down beside them. So they took out the bins, took away the bins, and lo and behold, people exercised a bit of public responsibility and personal responsibility and took their stuff away and the bin problem the litter problem on the beach was actually reduced considerably when they took away the bins. That's just weird, but it, it, it's the truth. Caller says last Thursday we were in town, saw four young people eating next to the opera house, then another group of young people over beside Duns. When we walked back the rubbish beside Dunn's was just disgraceful. I was shocked. Group beside the Opera House Left their place spotless It just shows mentality It doesn't matter how many bins there are Some people will still just leave their junk After them Ain't that true John says PJ I agree totally what you say About putting your cans in the bag And bringing them home Worse though Are the people walking the dog Then pick up the poo in a bag And where does the bag go Dumped in the street Or into the nearest hedge What's the sense in that Oh John Listen we're singing off the one hymn sheet there, my friend. 1850 715 Just looking at the weather for the June weekend, which is next weekend, and the ever-reliable Dark Sky app. I'm currently trialling, actually, Dark Sky against the other one, the YRNO one, um, and I'm running looking at the two of them. And so far, about a week or ten days into it, I have to say that dark sky is still that wee bit more reliable, especially for five or six days out. But the June weekend is looking not like yesterday, but looking decent. Sunday and Monday, low, very low prospect of rain, maybe 4% chance of a shower and a mixture of sunshine and cloud, highs of about 20 degrees in the shade. It'll be warmer outside. Same on bank holiday Monday high of about 20 degrees plus and a mixture of cloudy spells and sunny spells but very little prospect of rain that'll bring loads of people out so the prospect for the June weekend very good, very good Friday, nice day, Saturday decent day, both at a chance of a shower Sunday and Monday will be the driest days and a good bit of sunshine for the June weekend so no doubt people will be out and about again Okay. If you've ever thought of having a baby through surrogacy or if you know anybody who did or indeed anybody who is thinking about it or might be thinking about it, then you'd be interested in our next topic of conversation. And even if surrogacy is something that will probably never be an issue for you, then you'll be fascinated by how tough it is and how Irish law really does need to move with the times a bit. I've been speaking over the weekend to Anne-Marie McCarthy. Anne-Marie from Cork, she has twins, and they were born via surrogacy. They were born in India, where the process is very straightforward. Everything is 100% legal and above board there. Contracts, agreements of all kinds, all signed and stamped. But under Irish law, things are very, very different. And Anne-Marie is now an active member of a support group lobbying for change. I did want to hear about all of that. But we began first by talking about the basics. Anne-Marie, I'll talk about the legal implications a little later on, but welcome to the Opinion Line. Tell me a little bit about your twins.
9: Yeah, so um, our twins, uh, David and Olivia, were born in 2016 in New Delhi through surrogacy. Um, So yeah, they're nearly five now. They'll be heading off to school in September. Um, It's an interesting journey to get them here. A journey we're still we're still on but uh, yeah
3: i suppose start at the very start surrogacy obviously that explains itself but yes. why india
9: why india um well i think when we looked into surrogacy first it's one of those things where it's very daunting you kind of think okay the usa is maybe the only place we can do it it's incredibly expensive if you need to go to the us so we kind of started having to dig a little bit deeper And everything we were coming up to was get proper legal advice. So we went to a sister in Dublin, um, Marion Campbell, who specialises in surrogacy. And she recommended the clinic in India. Now she said to us, look, I cannot tell you what their success rates are. But I know from a legal point of view, they are very good to deal with. So if I was recommending, that's who I'd recommend. So I said, OK. Now, India, it's a world away.
3: (laughs) When she said from a legal point of view, what did she mean?
9: Yes, yeah, so like when you are going getting into a surrogacy arrangement, you have to be sure that every single contract is in order is in the contract between myself, and my husband, the surrogate and her husband. If she's married, her husband is very much involved in this. Um, you need affidavits from all of the, the doctors, you need affidavits from the surrogate mother, you need them from her husband, you need them from an independent solicitor, the solicitor that deals with the surrogate mother cannot be linked to the clinic that you use so that it cannot be seen that the clinic are putting her under pressure in any way whatsoever to sign papers so she has to have complete independent legal advice so all of this has to be taken into consideration
3: so effectively it's an agreement between all of you that she will have the children and that she will hand them to you and that the hospital's role is covered your role is covered her role is covered and it's all signed off upon before you even get on a plane is that it
9: Absolutely, everything is signed up upon before you get on the plane, um the responsibility of the hospital, our responsibility, um even something simple like after the embryos are implanted, if something were to happen to us, we had to have named guardians that would travel to India to bring home the babies in the event that something you know may happen to us in in the meantime in the interim, really? and so all of those things have to be covered, oh yeah, all of those things have... so like from a legal standpoint. In India, it was magnificent. It was, you, you could tell that every side was extremely well protected in all of this. You know, it's when you come back to Ireland <laughs> that yeah. things change.
3: And I'll get to that because it is, yeah. it's, it's kind of a wasteland. There's, there's kind of nothing 100%. there. One
9: hundred percent. There's nothing.
3: Yeah. So you get off the plane and mm-hmm. you go to the hospital. So what's the yep. process then?
9: So we got off the plane. We phoned the um, the doctor, you know, the named doctor for the babies. And um, you're kind of going, oh my God, this is all so strange. And you know, so I rang and I said, look, my name's Aunt Marie, and we're we're here to meet, you know, to to collect the twins. And I was kind of going, this just feels so strange. And he said, okay, um, they're your babies. You come to the hospital <laughs> right now, whenever you you know you, you're ready, come down to the hospital. So we arrived at the hospital. We arrived at the reception desk. And the the lady at the desk said, OK, mother's name, please. And I went blank, thinking of the surrogate mother's name. And my husband said, Anne-Marie. And I went, oh, yeah, (laughs) sorry, Anne-Marie. And she went, OK, you head straight up to the... They were in the the neonatal unit at that stage. So straight up to the neonatal unit, and we were greeted at the door by the staff there and, and brought in. And there they were, two incubators, absolutely tiny... Little tots, yeah, they were both under four pounds, so they were tiny. <laughs>
3: S- so the biological process, Anne-Marie, and just forgive me, step mm-hmm. by step I get f- for listeners who wouldn't who wouldn't really know. So you yes. don't go to India until the children are due, is that right?
9: No, sorry, we were in India twice. So we were okay. in India in the October of 2015 to create the embryos, and then back in, tw- in August of 2016... To collect the
3: twins. And the creation of the embryos then, how is that
9: yep. done? So it is done, um, they have to be genetically related to one parent, they can be genetically created to both, so the same clinic does both of the, the processes. It's all done through the one clinic, if that makes sense. Um, so it can be done using a donor egg or it can be done using the intended mother's egg.
3: And if you don't mind my asking, what process did you have?
9: So because the reason we needed to go down the route of surrogacy in the first place uh, is because I was born with congenital heart defects. So anything, you know, with IVF and the drugs that I would need to take, I was really told you need to take a step back from that because it's going to put too much pressure on your heart. So we used a donor egg.
3: I see, I see. So you create the embryos and then nine months later you get a call. It's Simple as that, is it?
9: It's, well, they keep you incredibly updated so unfortunately our first two transfers weren't successful so we were getting a bit oh lord now they created enough embryos that we knew was going to allow for three three, uh, transfers so january 2016 we got the phone call the we did the transfer we've done the pregnancy test the the result is positive the readings are looking great everything is looking good we'll do a scan in five weeks time to see if we can see the embryo sex and it continues on from that so we got, they did a scan every single month through the pregnancy. We got pictures of the scan every single month. We got every detail Brilliant. of the scan um, delivered to us every month, yes. Yeah. So we were watching the process as they were growing.
3: And again, I'm, I'm really simplifying this now for, oh, yeah. it, for listeners. So the embryos are created and then they are implanted in the surrogate's womb, correct? Exactly, Okay. Yeah. And do you know who she is?
9: Yes, we met her when we were in India the first time. We met her in in October. We met with her in the clinic. Yeah, which which I think is nice. Um, If you travel to the U.S., you have a very deep relationship with the surrogate. You have huge contact with the surrogate. But the process in India is that, yes, you meet her. You get to chat with her. Uh, Lovely lady. She has two boys of her own. They were 8 and 10 at the time, so they're obviously a lot older now. Uh, 15, and what would they be now? But um, 15 and 13. So, yeah, you get to meet with her, but then after that, everything is done through the clinic. So it kind of kept very professional, shall we say, after that.
3: And I guess all of the legal stuff is necessary to make sure that there's no going back on anybody's side. Isn't that right?
9: Exactly. You know, that, um, that the surrogate doesn't, you know, decide after nine months that she doesn't want to give up this baby or that she, you know, so that there's all of this, or that we decide maybe this isn't for us now i can't really imagine that happening but look it covers all yes. eventualities so it, it is i it, it mean there's reams of paperwork I can imagine. reams of contracts and then they all have to be translated into hindu in order to be be explained to the surrogate mother by her own independent independent liars they all have to be signed and notarized um yes yeah, so an awful lot of chewing and froing for a while with uh with contracts and stuff, and making sure everything was right.
3: And is there is there a language barrier to be overcome?
9: There is a language barrier to be overcome. So she's also provided with an independent translator to ensure again that she can understand exactly what is in all of these contracts before she before she signs.
3: People will ask this question in their minds: and is, yes. she, is she paid?
9: Yes, she is paid. Yes, she is compensated for or what, what she does, she's all, you know, all of her medical costs are covered, all of her travel expenses. If she's living, um, she was living a little from the centre of the, the city of Delhi, and that's where the clinic was. So any travel expenses to and from the clinic. Um, I think everything down to even maternity clothes, all of those costs are covered, and then she does receive compensation as well.
3: Okay. So then you go out for the second time, and there they are inside, in there is little incubators. <laughs> good, good, good to go, as it were. So is there, is there more procedure to go through?
9: There is. You're out there, and we were there about five weeks. So at that stage, then, you have to prove the genetic link. Now, once they're born, you have to receive your emergency travel documents from the Irish Embassy to come home. And in the eyes of the Irish state, I am not legally their mother. The woman who gives birth is the legal mother of these twins. So my husband had to obviously go and get his DNA test done, prove that he was the genetic father of the children, and then he was able to apply to the Irish embassy to receive the travel documents so that we could fly home. And you also have to receive visas from India so that we can actually physically take them from their country.
3: And this, I think, is where the legal thing starts to get very complicated. Irish law does not recognize you as their mother?
9: No. Irish law doesn't even recognize surrogacy as such. There are guidelines, um, but that is it. There is no legislation. The first um, piece of legislation ever written about surrogacy was a couple of weeks ago, when Sinead and Mark traveled home from the Ukraine with their son. um, They were being asked to do the mandatory hotel quarantine, and it was the very first time that It was written into legislation. The couples arriving back after surrogacy did not have to do the mandatory hotel quarantine. They could quarantine in their own home with their newborn.
3: Oh, that story made the newspapers, I remember now. Exactly,
9: yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the very first um, mention of surrogacy in Irish legislation.
3: So how should the process work?
9: Well, the hope that the process would work, what what we're hoping for is that it would be almost the same as it works in the case of adoption. The mother there has not given birth to the child, but is recognized as the legal mother of the child because she is the person, you know, parenthood, we're hoping, would be seen as given to the person who performs, fulfills the role of the parent. Mm-hmm. You know, she is the person who is there with those children, who is loving those children, the only mother they will ever know, the, you know, the person they call mommy. <laughs> That is the person that we want to see legally recognized as the child's mother. So but that is the change that is needed.
3: Is your name on on their birth cert?
9: It is because the birth cert was created in India. If I was to apply for an Irish birth cert, it would not be on their birth cert.
3: Okay, so they don't have an Irish birth cert?
9: No, they do not have an Irish birth cert. Now we could apply for one, but it would be Ian's name. Now, I think it could be just his name if we wanted to keep it that way because he is now their sole guardian, as in he has sole custody. After going through all the courts here, he has sole custody of the children. So, I'm not sure if we would still need to name the surrogate mother on it but legally I cannot be named on it.
3: That's so sad, Anne-Marie.
9: Oh yeah, it is. (laughs) It really is. It's, It's one of those things where you kind of go, how do you explain this to somebody, how do you say of course I'm their mother, I'm the one who is, you know their mother, they call me mommy I I kiss them goodnight, I tell them I love them a hundred times a day but in the eyes of the country that we live in, they do not see me as your mother you know, that's very difficult
3: And is there even a process and forgive me, I I, I know a bit about adoption, but is, is there even a process under adoption law? That can there help is, you.
9: in a, a way, it's called um step-parent adoption. So you would be technically adopting your spouse's children. Um, now you can apply to do this. You can look into doing this after two years of being home. You must be caring for them for two years to do this. But we would still need the surrogate mother's authorization to do this. We would still need an affidavit from her to do this now two years down the line you can imagine this lady has well and truly moved on with her life um you may not even be able to track her down we don't know if she still lives at the same address that she was living in back in 2016 we shouldn't need to know that you know this lady has done what she so amazingly did but you know that part of her life is finished she should be able to get on with her life without needing to come back again in a couple of years time to sign off more affidavits she's already signed over her legal right to these children that's part of the the agreement um but it would be required again in order to go through the step-parent adoption and you know it's almost an insult to say you're their stepmother when you're not and that's not trying to insult stepmothers stepmothers are fantastic but You know, it's like, it's different. It's two different things. Don't try to put it into a bracket that's already there just Mm. because you don't have legislation for something else. That's kind of what that feels like, you know?
3: You would be using something to get past an obstacle rather than just sorting out the obstacle.
9: Exactly. Rather than actually seeing this exists It needs to be sorted and there is legislation on the way for assisted human reproduction but there is no mention in it for surrogacy abroad. It will deal with domestic surrogacy but there's even a point in it at the moment where they say they will prohibit seeking legal advice on surrogacy abroad. Now I'm not sure you can actually prohibit anybody seeking legal advice so I assume that will be changed before it's commenced. But that's in there at the moment. They really are trying to discourage um, foreign surrogacy. But they need to realise there are. I, I, I think there is always a fear of the regulation around foreign surrogacy because they cannot regulate another country, and I get that. But when we come back, they have to see the agreements that are in place. I mean, make it an absolute entitlement that all of the agreements and all of the documents and contracts we have have to be there for everybody, you yeah. know, and they are.
3: You like, you have a raft of legal paperwork a stamped. A raft
9: of legal paperwork, yeah. And I mean, if that needs to be written into into legislation, that that has to be there for everybody, then fine. Parents will not have any problem with that. We want to protect everybody in this. It's in everyone's best interest to have everybody protected, you know. Um, but, you know, it's definitely not something that they want included. But even saying that, the families have already been created So retrospectively, they're not looking back at the children that are already here and saying these children should have rights. They should have two legal parents in their lives. Right now, they do not.
3: I'm going to pause it there for a second to take a commercial break. That is Anne-Marie McCarthy speaking with me about her experience with surrogacy and the legal side of it and how it's not catered for at all in this country. There, there's more to come. From
9: the very beginning, because you're not recognised as the legal mother, you're not entitled to maternity leave or any maternity benefits. So it starts at that. You technically cannot sign off on emergency medical procedures. You're not You're not their parent. You are in limbo in all of these things.
3: Let you hear the rest of it next. 1850 715
1: 996. Can we just talk Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
0: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% Natural, and Made in Cork using
1: West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396
3: 96 96. On Courts 96 FM. So back to our interview with Anne-Marie McCarthy. She has twins born in India in 2016 via surrogacy. And she's been telling me about the difference between the procedure in India, where everything is contracted and agreed and legal and above board, and here in Ireland where her own children born through surrogacy are not recognized as her own children let's continue
0: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind
3: families through surrogacy group which I, I guess is, is lobbying for this for this right. absolutely another question that will pop into listeners minds Anne-Marie how how many people are, are doing surrogacy in Ireland at the moment
9: now it's quite difficult to get figures as you can imagine with GDPR and everything there's somewhere over 500 families have already been created um, we do know that in Europe um, Ireland on a per capita basis is the highest user of surrogacy arrangements Really? Um, yes, yeah, it's quite extraordinary when you think of it. Um, in the last 10 years, the Ukraine would have issued, in 2010, just two birth certificates for surrogacy, and in 2020 it was up to 26, and that's just the Ukraine. So that's a big leap in 10 years. It's, it's, it's happening, you know, so it really does need to be properly legislated for. Now, yeah, you know.
3: the lads are five now.
9: There will be five now in August. I forgot
3: to ask something, Um, did you know always that it was to be twins?
9: We knew very early on because there were so many scans that it would be twins. Now we knew when we went to the clinic in October that it was very likely that it would be twins um, because they do transfer more than one embryo, Mm. um, obviously to try and give you the best shot, so we knew it was quite likely to be twins. And then we knew very early on, um, I think it was at the seven-week scan, that there was two embryo sacs. so we were going, oh, Lord, okay. Because um, we had, you know, very prepared for one, kind of going, right, we need to start getting our head around two. Oh, <laughs> oh
3: and marie I know that feeling. Uh,
9: yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a dad yeah, of twins. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a bit of a, wow, okay, You, 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 you better believe
3: it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'll never forget it's, it myself. But come back to where I was going before I got distracted but that's always going to happen when parents <laughs> of twins are talking, that that happens. Come back to where I was going. They're five now and mm-hmm. they're going to come to the point in their lives if they haven't got there already soon yeah. where they're going to have to start presenting birth certs for things.
9: Yeah. What happens yeah. then? Now the the Indian birth cert is uh, that for me was a big question in the start I was kind of going, is this going to work first stuff? Now it does. It is a legal document. If if I was pregnant and flew to New York in the morning on holidays and gave birth in New York, uh, I would be given a birth certificate by that hospital just stating these babies were born here on this date to these parents. So it, it, it can travel, you know. So their Indian birth cert will work with applying for Irish passports and all of that sort of stuff. So we don't need an Irish birth cert. It will work. The only issue with the Indian birth cert is we have a copy we were sent away with one copy each of those birth certs. Now you know how many times through life you need to send these birth certs off for stuff. It is one of the scariest things to put that birth cert into an envelope in the fear that it will not arrive back.
3: And again, this is an awful simple question. It's not just (laughs) a matter of getting on to the embassy in Dublin, no?
9: Apparently it's not that easy. I think the clinic again would have to kind of involved now thankfully the clinic were fantastic I'd imagine if we contacted them they would be as fantastic again but there's there's more to it than that Than just because they weren't issued in Ireland they were issued as I say by the clinic in India yes. so there's more to it than just getting them created like we were, we were told by our solicitor guard them with your lives and every time you have to send a double check can you just send a copy please <laughs> you know so yeah, yeah. Now, even something that simple
3: yeah Something that you, you would imagine could be fixed relatively easily. Oh, yeah,
9: exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Were there implications for you, Anne-Marie, in the process, or indeed for any other new parent, new surrogate parent? Was, was there, were, are there implications for you?
9: Well, I suppose from the very beginning because you're not recognised as the legal mother. You're not entitled to maternity leave or any maternity benefits. Um, now, I was incredibly lucky. I work for Cope Foundation. Everyone in Cork knows Cope Foundation. Um, extremely compassionate, thankfully, and I was able to take as much leave as I needed, and they actually paid me for the first three months of my leave. But that was basically just them being incredibly generous and, you know, just good employers. It, it, there is no um, law to say that they have to do that. They're under no obligation whatsoever to provide maternity leave or maternity benefit. And that goes for any company across um, across Ireland. So it starts at that.
3: That's dreadfully unfair. Yeah. Dreadfully unfair. Yeah. And are there any yeah. other hurdles that you fear or that you worry about that the lads will face going forward?
9: Um, well, I suppose we have a little bit more security now with Ian being there um, being being recognised as their parent and their guardian, that takes years also. So you're talking a couple of years to, to even get that far in the courts.
3: Hang on, hold on, hold on. He's very <laughs> well now. He's their dad, <laughs> right? Now yeah. genetics, genetics, like is fairly absolute.
9: It's it's pretty 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you have to
3: go into court to prove genetics.
9: Yes. Yeah, even though they provide you with emergency travel documents based on the DNA sample to allow the children to return home, you need to go to court and prove that the surrogate mother has signed off on everything, that my husband is their parent, genetically proved parent of these children, is the guardian of the children, which come, come all comes together under the same um, court proceedings, and um, is now now has sole custody of the children, because the surrogate gives up that right. Um, yeah, and can now obviously apply for passports and the likes for them without needing her permission.
3: But you have paperwork, reams of it, to show all this.
9: Oceans of it. <laughs> yeah. You
3: still have to go to court.
9: Yeah. Oh yes, you still have to go to court. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a lengthy, lengthy process. It takes, like I say, it can take anything up to three or four years to get that done so there is huge limbo there you technically cannot sign off on emergency medical procedures, you're not, you're not their parent you know, you shouldn't be signing these forms um, it's you feel so uncertain um, we know by our doctors and the, you know, the public health nurse and everything here they recognise us as their parents there was never any issue when they were getting their childhood vaccines or anything like that but legally, until he was recognized as their parent through the courts, um, you know, you are in limbo in all of these things. And
3: is that a costly process?
9: Yes. <laughs> it is a costly process. You're talking thousands to get all of that sorted.
3: Yeah. Good God. It's, that's yes, bizarre.
9: It's a very costly process. It's, it is. Yeah.
3: And because you're not recognized as their mom... Mm-hmm. That must cause other problems. Like, does Ian have to be around for any medical emergency? I mean, if he happened to be away. Yeah, like
9: now, I can apply for guardianship now. After two years, you can apply for guardianship. Right. So, you know that's okay. Once everything is done through the courts, you can apply. For, I can apply for guardianship now too. So that will mean that I can sign off on emer- medical emergency. I can sign off on a school trip or something that simple, which technically right now I can't sign off on. Um, so there is that, but guardianship ends at the age of eighteen, which okay, fine, they're adults. But that just feels so sad. <laughs> yeah. At the end of it, at the age of eighteen, I no longer have a legal connection with them again. You know, um, guardianship is something a court can take away. It cannot take away parentage. Yeah. If something happened in the morning to a marriage, you start having a very uneven keel, where the husband has sole custody of the children. And you're left fighting a very, very, very difficult battle in that sense. You could be left fighting a very difficult battle in that sense. You know, so there's a huge amount of inequality there.
3: This is extraordinary. Learning so much much (laughs) from you in the last few minutes. Well,
9: I'll tell you what I learned last night. And I went, oh, come on. I was looking through a lot of stuff. You know, as you do, you start looking into these things. And because I'm not considered legally connected to my children, if I was to leave them inheritance... (laughs) This isn't funny, but it's funny because at this stage, what do you do, laugh or cry? If I was to leave them our house and it was worth over €300,000, they would end up having to pay €105,000 in tax because they got a gift from a stranger.
3: A stranger,
9: Anne-Marie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: You're a stranger I mean, to them in law. blew
9: my mind last night. Yes, exactly. That sums it up now. In law, I'm a stranger to my own children.
3: That must make you feel so sad.
9: It does. We came out of the courtroom the day that everything, you know, was passed through, and I walked out and I her solicitor. She's fantastic. She's a real empathetic lady. She's not just doing this as a job, you know. And we were standing there, and I was so happy that this was done. They they finally had security, and then she looked at me. And she goes, it's kind of hitting you know, isn't it? And I said, Yeah, I've walked out the very same as I walked in. Nothing has changed for me, you know. Um, yes it's wonderful that they're secure we know now they're looked after if god forbid anything happens to my husband it's now in his will that he can ensure that i will be their sole guardian and carer and provider and all of that but nothing changed for me that day It's
3: extraordinary you know,
9: that's the hard part
3: yeah it's extraordinary yeah just before I finish with you, Anne-Marie, there's a question that comes to mind and this comes through my own many years involved in advocacy for the rights of adopted mm-hmm. people and things like that. And the connection you'll understand as I ask the question, like when they get to a point, as every child does, where they mm-hmm. begin to ask questions of yourself and the and yeah. what what are you going to tell them?
9: Well, we made a decision very early on to tell them their exact story, tell them exactly how it's happened. They already have one of their big bedtime books is about surrogacy, about uh, a girl who was born to surrogacy. So it explains it in really, really simple terms. It's for toddlers, you know. But recently, like Olivia, has started asking questions because a friend of hers in school, the mommy was having a baby, and she wanted to know, was she in my tummy? So I said to her, no, you actually were not. He said, a very wonderful lady, far, far, far away, minded you in her tummy until mommy and daddy were able to come and pick you up and she was quite fascinated by this she didn't know what else to ask you know but she was you could see she was fascinated by it so david turned around and he went but did i miss you when you weren't with me and i thought oh my god <laughs> how do i answer that so i said no you were very very well looked after and the minute you were born mommy and daddy were there to bring you home so he had no questions after that he went back to playing. he was fine but i know she's going to have oceans of questions and we just have decided whatever they ask, they will guess the truth, you know, in so much as they can understand it at the time. Because it's a wonderful story. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating story. You know, we, we want you so badly. This is what we did, you know. Um, yeah. So they, they will hear their story. They will know their story.
3: Well, we know it today and yeah. we're privileged to have you tell it to us. And thank you so much.
9: And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell it because, you know, as you say, I think a lot of people just assume we're the mom and dad, which is great. It's nice to to have, you know, the people think that, but there's so much more to it and so much work that needs to be done. So thank you very much for, for hearing the story.
3: It's been our pleasure. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you, BJ. There are times when you do an interview for this programme and you realise a few minutes into it that this is going a lot further than... We thought it was. I had pitched about 15 minutes for that and I could have stayed talking to Anne-Marie for another hour. Uh, the various stories and complications of of her surrogacy journey, hers, hers and Ian's and the two kids, David and Olivia, their journey. But it's incredible. It's all sealed and signed and d- documented and drafted and legaled in two languages across in India. But over here, she's not even recognised as her children's own mother. Something needs to change, and I hope I certainly learned an awful lot from that last half hour. I hope you did too. Texters has a powerful and real story on surrogacy from Anne-Marie. Thanks so much for sharing and for advocating for legislative change. I needed IVF. Assisted reproduction is such an emotional journey, let alone having to worry about the legal side of it all. Being a mother is more than just giving birth. 185715996 Can we just talk The
1: Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy made premium spread,
0: 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide
1: to nightlife on side.
8: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Tickets are now on sale for limited live audiences to attend the Day Crossing Farm, a multi-sensory art installation exploring some of today's most critical human rights issues. This immersive work is by acclaimed visual artist Mary Brett and has been created at a secret location as part of Cork Midsummer Festival. Access All Areas One of Ireland's finest exponents of hip-hop, Kojak, announced his debut album Said, alongside tour shows later this year. One of them is coming to Cypress Avenue taking place on Saturday, November 27th with tickets on sale from cypressavenue.ie Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie
0: Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on side
3: On Cork's 96fm Now when I spoke to Emma Fitzpatrick a few weeks ago getting an email was a huge nightmare for her trying to run a business let alone do a Zoom meeting, it just wasn't possible but all that has changed now down in West Cork through the help of of all people Elon Musk How on earth, Emma? Good morning.
10: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
3: Good. When we talked before, (laughs) like, trying to email was just impossible.
10: It was. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, We're here in a little community seven kilometres from Clonakilty, a place called Nakawadra, and we are basically four little micro-businesses. Residents, families, people working from home, and all struggling with really, really poor quality broadband. And at the time, yeah, basically I would have to, you know, go up the hill to send an email. I had to park my car up the top of the hill in order to be able to give a video call. And having moved my wellness business online, I wasn't able to actually give my classes online. I had to go into a local um, premises in the local town. Someone kindly gave me the loan of in order to keep my classes going. Mm. So we kind of started this campaign initially, myself and Leslie Cox, who's my neighbour and a landscape artist who had also moved to business online, and we started a campaign to try and get the NBI, the National Broadband, to um, um, for them to expedite the rollout of fibre to our area, believing that that would really solve our problems. Yeah. Um, and this is an ongoing campaign, if you like. Um but in the process, we contacted local TDs, etc. And I also happened to table a question to Tesla to see if they would be interested in also piloting their Starlink satellite for our broadband dead zone, like they have in Kerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, not hearing anything back, I, with all the media coverage that we were going, that we were getting, I went back to their media people, their EU media people, and then basically a few days later, I was contacted by the director of market access for from SpaceX, so for their Starlink satellite program.
5: Nice,
10: nice. And literally within 12 hours, it was, we were offered, myself and Leslie Cox were offered to become trial users for their satellite. Crazy. And now we have it installed.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
10: That's that.
3: And that was a game changer.
10: Well, it was an, I mean, absolute game changer. I mean, I did a speed test on my laptop and my phone just now, so I'd be able to kind of report back. And I was living with Speeds of 0.7 upload. So yeah. for me to give my online classes and consultations, I need about 10 minimum. Yeah. And now, basically, again, it depends on the weather, but today, and it's a sunny day, sunny, cloudy day, um, for my phone, it's 160.7 download, 56.5 upload. What? And my... for my, your phone? Yeah. And for my laptop, it's 147 download, 31 upload. Righty. Yeah. yeah. So you can imagine the ease at which this is, you know, that this, how this has changed our lives, myself and Leslie's lives. She can upload photos, you know, it would previously take about half an hour to upload an image onto her website, yeah. which she would need for work. And now she, literally she said she sent 20 in a in, in matter, matter of minutes. Yeah.
3: Crikey! And and do you mind telling me how much all this costs?
10: Well, actually, we we're very lucky, but because we're trial users, we're actually free at the moment. Oh,
3: this gets better.
10: But you see, the thing is, this is a, a, a massively, I mean, this could really, this is a game changer for us, and this could be a game changer for people living with these, you know, inefficient speeds in these broadband dead zones, mm. which is kind of a lot of rural Ireland. But at the moment, it's not open to the public because Comreg needs to approve it. Uh So we are trial users to kind of see how it goes. And obviously then, you know, it can be um, moved back to Comreg for them to negotiate with SpaceX.
3: Like you're sorted and that's great, but there's still loads of people around you who are living in a black spot.
10: I mean, the thing is, look, we're really lucky. We're really appreciative. And um, obviously when things are licensed and that, we will start paying. And it is that much more expensive than the usual package. But I mean, if you're getting speeds like that and you can actually rely on them to be able to operate your business. Mm. And hopefully in time, the prices would come down, you know, if it is more widely available. Yeah. But our campaign is still ongoing because of course it was, it was we wanted fibre to be rolled out for ourselves, but also the whole community. And so we are still hoping that that will be expedited. Yeah. Because I guess what this whole campaign, the like, what it showed me was that, you know, people all over Ireland are kind of suffering with similar stresses and unnecessary stresses because people have enough stresses on their plate with COVID, et cetera, and not being able to effectively work from home. I mean, I've heard from so many people, people who've lost jobs, people who, you know, can't reliable, re- reliably get their kids online to submit basic schoolwork, you know, people who are just who've had to go back to have to... You know, go back to working for a company because yeah. they can't operate their own businesses. I've people have spoken to me, and they've been campaigning in similar locations all over Ireland, canva- canvassing the local TDs. It's such a widespread issue.
3: Yeah. The, the national broadband plan—it's it, just not happening fast enough. It's Come different. here. Have you have you got a big satellite dish now on the side of your house?
10: We've got. Yeah, it's the beautiful, as you can imagine, state of the art. It's actually the back of the house. So we had had a local installer, Peter Walsh, who runs a company, Open Out, and he was great. He came with his colleague, Kieran, and they basically, what you do is you have an app, you download the Starlink app, and you basically get them a sense of where the best place is to put the dish. Mm. So for us, it was actually at the back of the house. We've got a carport, so it was kind of hanging off the side of that, so it's got an unimpeded view of the sky.
3: Right. And is it it a big dish?
10: Um, I mean, it's... It's kind of a stand... It's actually... Same size
3: as your sky, maybe, is it? Uh, pardon? Is it the same size as a sky dish?
10: I'd say it's a bit smaller, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly... Yeah, I'd say it's a bit smaller, and it's just kind of a beautiful white, bright dish, and it what's what's particular about it is that with other satellite dishes, they're installed and they're kind of set in place, whereas this actually moves. <laughs> it actually moves to pick up the satellite as it moves around the sky, so it's not moving all the time, but it, you can see it subtly changed direction. Oh, really? It's amazing. Yeah.
3: So it's got a little motor in it. Oh, crikey! This is this is <laughs> this is like something out of Star Trek.
5: Well, it is indeed.
3: Wow. But it's great for you, but again, you know, for, for your neighbours, they need they need fibre and they need it soon. They
10: do, they do, and you know, we were contacted by someone high up in NBI and. They're aware of our campaign and they're aware of the kind of urgency for our community, Um, but the problem is that they can't. I understand it's a a complex operation and, you know, our rural Ireland is full of little tiny little roads, you know, um, but at the same time, it's a seven year rollout and people are just kind of in limbo waiting Mm. for a date. You just don't know, you know. And that's hard to be in limbo
3: because you're kind of putting things on hold. Okay. All right. Well, look, we'll we'll see where it goes. I mean, the the next obvious uh, logical thing would be that, thanks, Emma, Mr. Musk would come back and do something for the town uh, and maybe, you know, spread the love around the town. But for now, she's got the most incredible broadband speed at home in Nakawadra, which she didn't have weeks ago, thanks to one of the richest men in the world. She's kind of cool. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
0: Call
1: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's 96FM.
3: If you're sitting in your kitchen right now, like if it is your work from home office when it's not serving as a kitchen for cooking and preparing food, uh, you'll be very interested in my next guest Because how often do you clean that kitchen And how thoroughly do you clean that kitchen I think I've said to you before on the programme We changed our kitchen in 2018 And our new kitchen is so much easier to clean Don't ask me why, but it is And I simply cannot go to bed at night without cleaning it I, it's just a thing with me It might only take me 10 minutes But I can't go to bed at night I, I like to come down in the morning And face into a clean, pristine kitchen With my stuff laid out for my breakfast And that kind of stuff It's just me But I think other people are like that too Is there a time that you want to clean your kitchen? How how clean is your kitchen right now? If I was to walk into your kitchen right now Would I find a nice clean kitchen? Or would I find carnage? Be honest with me now Be honest And There's a question for you right? Have a think about it before I bring an to chat, how often do you clean the kitchen? Whose job is it? Are you someone who cannot, like I can't lately, for the last couple of years, cannot actually go up the stairs to bed tonight and leave Beirut after me in the kitchen? I can't, like, uh, I have to. I, it's just, I know what it is. It's just a thing with me. Are uh, you like that? Just on the subject of uh, uh, surrogacy, and we were talking to Anne Marie, a mother of four children rang in to compliment me on the handling of the interview on surrogacy. Well I may tell you, thank you for that, it's very kind of you but it was Anne-Marie who was so wonderful to speak with. There was no work required on my part, just listen to her ask the occasional question, but thank you She takes her hat off to Anne-Marie She's driving the car with tears running down her face. She says she never takes it for granted that she has four children of her own she knows it must be such a difficult road for anyone struggling with infertility. Excellent radio. Thank you very much, caller, for that. I think the, the, the part of it that stands out most for me is the fact that you have your children and, and, and they have rights and you have rights in, in their regard. Well, David and Olivia are, are Anne-Marie's children and she has no rights in their regard. None. The, legally, the state doesn't recognize her as their mother. Uh, At this point in time, Uh, even though India, where they were born and where the surrogacy was carried out, has it all down pat in legal documents. But it's not recognised here. Not to mind the fact that her husband, Ian, who's the genetic father of these children, genetic, listen, genetic, had to go into court to prove that he's their dad. It's like, just it's been cemented. but thank you. Thank you so much for that kind message. 1850 So, there's a thing. Like, how often do you actually clean your kitchen? Would you have a, a lash around it every day? Or when you finish the breakfast in the morning, do you pile the lunch on top of it? Uh, do you end up cleaning it out of pure frustration sometime or another? And when you clean it, how do you clean it? What do you use to clean it? Are some kitchens easier to clean than others might be a valid question. But because there's a kitchen in most of our homes and we spend a lot of time in it and we cook in it and we eat in it sometimes and sometimes we work in it as we are now. Is it time to just embrace the kitchen for its importance And there's loads of things in it. Let me talk to Angela Boucher-Hayes, who's a lecturer and a home economist at Limerick. Agnes, I beg your pardon. Agnes Boucher-Hayes, lecturer and home economist at Limerick IT. Agnes, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you?
2: Good, good. I'm actually coming to you directly from my own workstation in my kitchen. Good, (laughs) Where I can empathise, yeah.
3: Good. I I said that in my introduction earlier. Like, we we reworked our kitchen in, in 2018, and... For some reason, it is an awful lot easier to clean than the old one used to be. Therefore, I cannot go to bed at night without cleaning it. But I find that kitchens get a bit overcrowded with stuff. Do they?
2: Oh, things. Things and stuff, isn't it? And stuff on top of stuff and things on top of things and things in things. So we do actually have a lot in our kitchens. But if we think about what our kitchen, we're asking of this room in the house. I suppose that's a good place to start. So, as you said, people work—you know—they work from it, and it does at least three, four, five meals a day. Depending, it's a busy area of the house with a lot of true traffic. Whereas other rooms wouldn't necessarily have that going on. And as well as that, we have a lot of messy stuff going on in the kitchen with the preparation of food, and with um, you know, with the splashes and you know, from pot oil, and. Steam goes around the kitchen, so some of the fats and some of the, um, you know, the steam will cause dirt as well. So we ask a lot of the kitchen. It is a messy room as well. And we don't really think of it as a messy room, but it's a place where dirty work happens. So we really do have to take a moment and think about the difference. And what I would say is the difference between tidying a kitchen and cleaning a kitchen. Right. And there are different places in the kitchen. There are different kinds and places for that. You wouldn't be doing a deep clean of your kitchen every no. day. But, you know, there are some areas within your kitchen, as I look around my own here now, where you would actually, where, where there are that need a little bit more attention from time to time.
3: Let's go through the essential difference between cleaning and tidying and start mm. with the tidying. Like you would you tidy your kitchen a couple yes. of times a day. What should a tidy mm. entail?
2: Just a tidy entails, just putting things away. Um, when, when you're in a kitchen, when you're cooking in a the kitchen, the, 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 the golden rule is clean as you go. Just put things away. So if you've finished with something, put it into the dishwasher, if that's what you have, you're, if you're fortunate enough to have one. Or stack things in a neat fashion where you're ready then for them to go through the sink and to be dried and you know, rest on a draining board. But you put things away, put things back in the spot. Everything has a spot in the kitchen and everything should, you know, and that's being organized in your kitchen and taking an organized approach. But the other thing I would suggest that happens a lot in kitchens is that people think they need to have everything out on their countertops Mm-hmm. so in your kitchen you've spent a fortune on presses and drawers and organisation and all the rest of it so I would suggest that people would use that, those drawers because if you put something into a drawer and you close the drawer it's not going to get dirty again the flour isn't going to fall in it Or the, you know, the, the, you know, if you're making uh, whatever you're doing, like, you know, if you're, if you're making a salad, you're, you know, the the tomato isn't going to hit off that spoon, you know, so put things, take things from your countertop and put them into the drawers in an organized fashion. And then I would suggest that you have things like the cutlery drawer. Everybody has one of those. And mm. then you have a drawer that you will have things that you would use more occasionally. So that's the second, uh, that will be the second drawer down. Then the third drawer, you might have other bits and bobs or the drawer that you don't know what's in. You know, there's usually one of those drawers in every kitchen or, you know, yeah. <laughs> or a know, or a box that everything is in. But then you would have your tea towels maybe and your cleaning cloths. Organised into that drawer, and then the final drawer could be the. In my particular case, that's the one that has the bits that don't really fit anyplace else. Yeah. So then you, those are the things that are close at hand. So when I'm cooking, I can get to those things easily.
3: What and about utensils? In you the utensil- press or out of them.
2: Oh, I love them. I now personally, I have the ones that I would use very regularly, like a knife. My knives. I wouldn't have all of my knives. I would have my chopping knife. I would have. A couple of spatulas, things that are very close to hand that I would use. And I would also have um, a ladle or a sieve. That would be about it on the countertop. Mm. Uh, The rest of the things are in in the drawer. Like, I love my silicone, um, my silicone, um, uh, my silicone, oh my God. My my silicone spoons, I love those. Oh, yes. I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank there, sorry. Um, I use those the whole time. They're something that I would use quite a lot. Uh, as, a, well, as well as a peeler so I have those things close at hand so I can pull from them but all of those will be washed before they go back yes. into onto the countertop and everything then will be given a wipe down yeah. uh, so, so that's really it also then when you go into the cleaning side of things that's where you go deeper into like you know you give your kitchen a deep clean now this isn't everyday this could be the spring clean once a year you know yeah. when you've got a random Sunday afternoon where you've got that bit of energy but you didn't know where you got it from And that you've decided, right, I'm going to tackle this now. So around, you know, you will take everything. You might take things out of your presses and you go into the far back of your presses. So you find those spices and herbs and that extra curry powder that you didn't realize you had. Bring them all out and then see which ones are still usable, which ones are still uh, viable and which ones you want to discard. You know, because you know, if you haven't used something in a year and a half, check these, use by and sell by dates on those as well. So everything comes out of the press. And then you start cleaning from the top of the press down, dirt falls down. So you, you know, it's a a simple thing because somebody might think, oh, I'll start here. But dirt falls down. So take everything, uh, just a cloth. And your cloths are important in the kitchen when you're cleaning as well and when you're tidying. Uh, you know, your cloth. We tend to use microfiber cloths an awful lot now. Yeah. These are what are being advocated for. And these are, they're really fine threads and that's what makes them really useful in a kitchen because they clean and they don't leave streaks and they don't leave um, uh, fluff after them. So they're really good in glass and on nice shiny surfaces, which mm-hmm. we tend to have in kitchens now. And possibly with your own kitchen as well. Remember, you, you're using m- more modern uh, Fibers, uh, fabrics, and uh, materials in your kitchen. So that's probably why it's easier to use. I tell well. you what, it
3: is. We have a stone workshop. Yeah, and so you
2: wipe it. it. Yeah,
3: and those microfiber cloths are brilliant. Yeah. Now I yeah. just use. We, we just use warm soapy water. But can yeah. you use? Should you use anything else?
2: No, not in a stone, because stone is a natural, uh, it's, it's a natural material. So you have to remember that it's got a finish on it as well. So if you start using vinegars and things like that on that kind of a surface, you you might be causing more problems than than curing. So I would generally advocate as well, the same as yourself, just warm soapy water and a good microfiber cloth and then clean down. I, you know, you can, there are lots of different, a lot of people are using bicarbonate. Um, or what was bread soda um, because that would have an um, abrasive effect but that does, remember, have an abrasive effect. Yeah. It, it is, you know, They'd and also then it. they will take the shine but also the vinegars just to be, you know, on wood floors and things like that, vinegar will strip. It will strip your varnish. Yeah. so just to be careful. Brilliant in bathrooms for shininess and, you know, people can add essential oils to them and cleaning sinks and that kind of thing but just make sure, just check you know, what you're using, yeah. where you're using it.
3: Do you know around the sink, where the sink mm. is is sealed in with that little yeah. bit of silicone that the, that the plumber put in, right? That lovely yeah. piece of white silicone. Mm-hmm. That gets grimy, and it's hard it's so. to get that grime off. Any it ideas? can be. Uh, well,
2: listen, when you're cleaning, when you're, when you're tackling jobs like this, and when you look and you see and you can no longer stand, and you decide, right, this is it now, attack, uh, toothbrush. A toothbrush is fabulous for that kind of thing because you don't want to break the silicone seal that is around it. But it's a, so just to remember that. So if I was looking like personally around a hob where it isn't you know doesn't have a silicone seal and it, it can get really dirty, I would get a microfiber cloth, wrap, it, wrap a knife in it like a, just your regular yeah. um, dinner knife, and just go around it.
5: You'd be amazed the, what comes cloth. out.
2: Be terrified about what comes out. So um, with the sink, though, because you have that seam, you don't want to go at that with a knife. But what you do, what you can do, is you can get a little bit. You can get, use a toothbrush and just scrub that. Huh. Scrub around it with the toothbrush. Uh, now, it's a toothbrush that you're not going to use again. Of course. <laughs> you know, just and would here. you put anything
3: on the toothbrush to lift the grime? It
2: depends, it depends on what you want to do. Like, there are some, like, some people like bleaches. I don't really use bleach in the kitchen because I feel that it's, um, from a food safety point of view, that's just myself. I would really use um, purpose-built things, a purpose-made cleaners for a kitchen. So whichever one you choose, whether it's um, Mr. Muscle or a GIF or a, you know i would tackle it with something like that or you could use baking soda with yeah. that if you wanted to go more eco-friendly the baking soda can be used with that one as well and that one can it's just that can little help bit paint.
3: abrasive but won't damage yeah. the silicone
2: and just 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 can be the same thing as well i i or stiff as it's now called but um that will be another one that you could use you know, anything that has a little bit of abrasive in it but remember don't use that on your hob if you have a um a glass hob or uh, an induction hob or, uh, you know, anything like that, because it, that, that will, um, it'll take the, the, the markings off. So just to be careful. We're starting to right get questions as
3: I knew we would, Agnes, oh, <laughs> Andrea. And I, another another pet hate of mine, now, now we, we've we got one, I just go up to the electrical stop, uh, shop and I buy the, the foamy stuff that goes into it. But for extractor fans, cleaning the filters, oh, yeah. it's a rotten job.
2: It is yeah but I mean again it's just soap and water you can uh, or you can replace them it's really the charcoal filter that you would replace in that but the actual grime itself that really is just every every well from it's an annual job for me um but just take them out and put them into hot soapy water boiling water With soap, you could get your toothbrush at this again because there can be uh, a lot of serration on it or, you know, different little grooves. So get at it, but just get at it with a sponge and that really is just elbow grease and go with that. That's what I would use for the extractor fan. And then you can put some of them through dishwashers as well. Yeah, depending on what you have,
3: soaking them overnight in boiling water. Just let them sit there in boiling water. I find that washing up liquid is brilliant because it it, it takes it 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 loo- yeah. loosens the fat. Oh, it's absolutely. fantastic.
2: Yeah, but I'd actually just pour the boiling water over them, like scrub them down with the with the, with the the washing up liquid, scrub them, give them a good old scrub with that and then pour hot water, boiling water from the kettle over it yeah. and you will be amazed what you can see just run off that. Yeah. And as well as that, it's a safety thing as well. You don't want too much grease building up in that because that can cause fires. Yeah.
3: You know the way it stuff builds up too in presses, like Lisa has been on from Not Nahini, she said, the press under my sink, oh, this press, that, that's, that, <laughs> that's, that's fun, like a that Aladdin's fun. cave, right?
5: Yeah. That's yeah.
3: consistently full of different bottles, deter- detergents, cloths. Mm. I never quite yeah. know what's in there or how to okay. get on top of it. Can I organise it? <laughs> you can. Well, what
2: I what I would suggest that you do is you look at what's in there. So have you got your products, like, it sounds like there's quite a number of products there. So this is the person who likes buying products. So have you got your stainless steel cleaners? Take all of them, put everything out. Everything comes out of, take one of everything and then put the others away into a storage press that it's not used every day. So you'd have your stainless steel cleaner, maybe your floor cleaner, maybe uh, an all-purpose cleaner for, for countertops and an abrasive. And then in a little, like you can get them in done stores or in any supermarket or in any, you know, you can get a little box, any box that you have and put your clothes in that. So therefore you have your stuff to clean in the kitchen. And then probably in that press as well, um, there might be your detergents for your washing machine and for your dishwasher. And again, just have one of each of them. Or even if you wanted to make it a little bit easier, so you're not dealing with lots of packages, take the pods or whatever you're using out of the big, packet and put them into the smaller little boxes Mm. so you can then see exactly what you have and as you use them bring back in the one that uh, and I would start for a press like that I would start with uh, I would take out the ones that are fuller and I'd leave in the ones that are emptier and then just use those and once they're gone then you can actually assess what you have. Um, and just
3: don't buy any more for the time being until they're all gone. Yeah, actually, you know, we we're only discussing it at home at the weekend, uh, particularly now in the summer, where the weather was warmer and mm. you know, stock rotation, as it were, like even in the mm. even in the fridge, you go you go to take something out of the fridge, take the butter out, for example, or whatever. Oh God, there's a lovely packet of raspberries that they're been they're they're out of date and they have been for a week. Can't like rotating your stock so that the fresh fruit that needs to be eaten today and tomorrow is at the front.
2: Yeah, and th- that's a job that can be done. You see, some people don't have time for that. They just put mm. everything into the fridge and yeah. they have three different chili sauces open in the fridge and they're they're wondering why their fridge is so full, but yes, there's nothing to eat in it. So I would again say everything out to begin with. And then if you have three open, just say for example, chili sauces, um, three chili sauces, put them all into one. Put them all into one and then that's one thing. Um, when it comes to fresh fruit and vegetables, again, it's about organizing what you have. So what do you use most often and most frequently? Um, so if you have your, you have your salad uh, boxes at the bottom of your fridge and you put your fresh fruit in there, if the fruit is in there the whole time, you know exactly where it is. And that's, you see, that's not, the, that's uh, a cool enough, that's appropriate for the salads and for the fruit. Mm. And then uh, as you go up, um, like you'd have your, your, maybe your sauces on the top. But again, go through your sauces when you take them out and when you wipe down the fridge, because all a fridge really needs is a wipe down. Yes. Um, with with the warm cloth and a bit of soapy water, and then just rinse it off. Um, but go through the, the best before dates, or sorry, with sauces, it will be a use by date. So go through those and discard anything that is out of date, that has gone beyond the use by date. And there is also probably a press in your house where you have a pile of jams and preserves yeah. and things that are there since 2018.
3: you brought up an absolute beauty now, the use by versus the best-before. Yeah. There is this idea that they are the same thing, but they're absolutely not. Use by means, if it was yesterday, throw it out. Best-before means it's not toxic waste just yet, It'll, it's still usable.
2: Yeah, you by and best before. So all products across the EU. This is a piece of EU le- legislation. And all products across the EU have a minimum date of durability. There are several exceptions to it, but that's like wines and vinegars and things like that. We don't need to worry ourselves about those; they uh, don't tend to last that long. But uh, what we have is a use by date and a best before date, and this has eradicated what was there before. There was a sell a sell by date, so that's gone. Now there's no ambiguity. We've a minimum date of durability. Use by date is any time beyond that point that food is actually a hazard to health. So that is a danger. So Scientists have checked this food out. They've said this food has this amount of time on it. Day after that, it could make you sick. There is a possibility that it will make you sick. Within a day? That's what the science says. I'm going to go with that. You know, because this is the date that they've pushed it to. Because remember, everybody producing food, all the producers, will push their dates so that they can, you know, from transport, they'll push their dates out as far as they can as long as they're, they're within the parameters of safety. Um, so that's important, and sometimes you'll find a use by date um, that will also say if you've op- the use by date is say December 2021, but we've opened it today, and the product says use within three days of consume- of-, of opening. You know, so once it's in its static state, the food it's fine, but once it's opened, you've opened it to the environment. Um, microorganisms can start to grow, mm. so we have to be careful about that. Actually, also a fascinating
3: product. one there, Agnes, and. You know the way you get fish, okay? Mm -hmm. And the fish is vac packed. Yeah. Right? So it's Mm -hmm. it's it's in this really tight vacuum Mm -hmm. container and it's got a use by date. Mm -hmm. Does the use by date apply if it's still in the vac pack?
2: I would suggest that the fish probably has a best before well it would have a best before date and well actually it could have a use by date as well. Mainly just to finish with the best before. Sure. Best before is usually for perishable foods. So the food isn't hazardous beyond that point. However, it's not at its best. The example I would use is a cream cake. You buy a beautiful cream sponge and it's best before uh, Wednesday. You go, great. But by Thursday, it's not gone off. The cream isn't at its best, but it's not gone off. So once you, you, to go back to your question about the fish, once you change the environment that the food is in, You've opened it to, so vacuum packing eradicates oxygen. So that means aerobic bacteria can't operate. Once you uh, unseal or you break that seal, aerobic bacteria can operate within that piece of fish. So you have to use it within the day or two days or whatever it says on it. Okay. So, you see, the reason that we do these things, that we backpack, we tin, we can, we bottle, we pickle, is to prevent the growth of bacteria and to keep yeah. the food safe. So, really, that's, that's what, we're, what we're aiming for at any stage within the food production.
3: Smells coming from the bin.
2: Oh, that, well, you've got to clean your bin. You see, people forget to clean the bin and they can clean the inside, but the place they tend not to look, because we, how often do you do it, is the lid of the bin. There can be smells coming from the lid of the bin, so take out the bin and uh, clean the bin. Wash the bin out, and I mean, even if you have the tall bins, you know, get a little, get get your cloth, put some hot water into it, get some soap, and wash it out. Also, then wash the area, the pedal, and the ground beneath it. And if there's the in, the interior, you know, the, the the so you take out the insert and give a wipe around to the metal bit on the outside. And then also make sure that you wipe the top of the bin. i just giving you a suppose This is something that I, I find. When you're actually using um, plastic bags in the bin, you use, you know, if you use an appropriate size plastic bag, it makes it easier because then you're not throwing food or food isn't falling around. Mm. It. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know when you get your dry cleaning bag? Yeah. So the dry cleaning bag, there's a hanger at the top of it. So you take that plastic bag, not the top of it, and that actually fits really nicely into a toll bin. So you don't okay. actually have to spend money on extra plastic bags.
3: <laughs> Except the fact that they've, tried it to, they've rolled it up and tied it with salad tape and you get the salad tape off and it yeah. all rips. Well, but yeah, I, yeah. what you yeah, I know but what you're awesome getting at. That, yeah. Yeah.
2: So so you just, and, but, but just be careful when you're carrying that bag out to the bin that you hold the top of it and the bottom of it but other than that it should you know they're they're actually really
3: handy for that. Okay all of this stuff is time consuming and when I talk about not Mm. going to bed at night without tidying up the kitchen I mean tidy it like put away what's Mm. out make sure the dishwasher is running and whatever Mm. and and everything is clean but how often should you do these deeper maintenance jobs and should you set them set a time on a Saturday morning maybe for for doing it? Well
2: I think that, you know, people have busy lives and, you know, when people have busy households, you know, they're probably running to different training things and all of the rest of it. I would say tackle one job as you go, one job at a time, because one job will probably lead to another. But if you have to think about cleaning the whole thing from top to bottom, you get turned off and you'll just tip away as you used to. So take one press out, just take one press a week or one press, and you'll be surprised how often that's done. But you only need to do that really once a year you know, those big, the, like cleaning out all of the presses, taking everything. And don't forget to clean underneath your presses as well, beneath your presses, if you've got overhanging presses. Mm. Um, because a lot of the steam um, can, you know, and that will carry different uh, fats and parts. Yes. That will build up underneath the presses. Um, oh, I, you I, take I a look under, had a misfortune you know, discovery
3: because. one time. I was, I was wiring up, this is a while ago, I was wiring up a light mm. onto the, and I, I put my hand up and the gunk. yeah. Because
2: we've really forgotten it. Like yeah, but you do, because you don't look, you know, you generally don't look under there. And as well as that, if you have lights beneath those presses, just remember to wipe them occasionally because that will give you more illumination and yeah. you'll be able to see, to see more of what you're doing. Right. But yeah, so those bigger jobs, they're, they're occasional jobs. And, you know, it's up to yourself if you're that disciplined that you would actually do it once a week. On no, God, summer. no, it's God,
3: no. <laughs>
2: People tend not to be. People tend not to be. So I would suggest that when the mood strikes you, go with it. Yeah, you know? Normative. And th- what I would suggest is from the top to the bottom and then always moving out the door. Out the door from the kitchen. So moving everything, all of the, the rubbish gets shoved put out. It doesn't you know, so the, the, the anything you don't need goes out the door. Yeah. And your floor then is the last thing that you'll do.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh that that and you could do that. The problem with most kitchens is pretty for the tile floor. You could do them you could do the floor every day and it would never so, be enough.
2: No, no,
3: no, no. And there'll still be a footprint on top of it. I know, I know. The cattle arrive in the middle of it. Agnes, great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you
2: so much for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much.
3: That's Agnes Boacher-Hayes. I hope you found something in that. She's a lecturer and home economist at Limerick IT. Tom, you said you put on your dishwasher at night before you go to bed. You should never leave a dishwasher run at night. One break and your house is flooded. Yeah, we would always run it kind of in the evening time, Tom. In the evening time. Or when I get up in the morning, I'm up first. Uh, I start it in the morning. But you're right, you kind of shouldn't let it run overnight. And um, that's worth pointing out from a, a health and safety point of view. 185715996. Is there one particular part of the kitchen that you hate doing? Now, to be fair, right, I, I should say this before anyone starts to uh, think that I'm a great fella. I'm not. I'm a dirty, messy, untidy bugger. But the one thing I do like to do is tidy the kitchen late at night. Most of the heavy duty stuff, the Queen B does that. A, because I won't do it properly and B, because well, she does. Uh, she does. Uh, fair play to her. 1850 715996.
5: Can we just talk
3: Opinion line on Cork's
1: 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread
0: 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Casey and Ross in the morning,
1: weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on
0: Cork's 96 FM.
1: I know Texas is an incredible city Using gun-toting, oil barren Kind of like, like, hey, is, what? Is, is, it mustaches? is there like 10-gallon hats of fellas with guns on Do people get thrown out of windows in pubs? No, it's, it's not the When you walk into West. a bar when, when, you, when you walk into a bar There's a fella playing the piano stop Does he stop playing. and everyone look at you? Does the barman always pour a nondescript drink into a small glass and slide it towards you? Yes. <laughs>
5: <Yeah.
0: laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Null DC gars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at nulldc.com
3: Cork's 96FL Yeah, no, I would not like to be seen as um, trying to tell anybody that I'm the be-all and end-all around the kitchen. I'm far from it. I just do like to go clean it at night before I go to bed, tidy it and wipe it down Little bit of hot water and soap, and just clean the... I, I just, and it was I live at me be grand before. No, I don't, I can't. Jeez, I can't. Not on a work morning, anyway. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Do you remember the secret? You do. Yeah, it was that book by Rhonda Byrne. She was a, an Australian television producer. There was a there was a book, and there was a movie. And there was documentaries and there was a whole movement and we all read it and we all said, you know what, if you put that into practice, it'll all come good for you. If you come into town and you think I need a parking space, you could make the parking space happen in your mind and the universe would produce the parking space for you. You could manifest the park. And the book, looked a Secret, it sold 30 billion copies. It made her an awful lot of money. It's the most successful help self-help book or one of them. Of all time. But now, in the world of TikTok, there's a whole new version of it going on. Um, People are making videos and people are doing these things. I'm manifesting. I'm manifesting my new job. Or I'm manifesting my new car. Or I'm manifesting my success. Um, And you kind of wonder, well, would you be better off not just sitting there manifesting, but actually go and do something about getting uh, they're full of it. The, the, the secret was full of manifesting, and about full of positive thinking. But you, can you actually do it? Like, can you actually think your way to success, or think your way to getting something? Are there models that will take you through life that says, "I will get there"? And if you have that attitude, "I will get there," will you get there? Let's bring in Susanna Serratis, mind care coach. Susanna, we all remember the secret. I read it. I have to say I did it for a bit. I kind of said, right, I'm coming to town. I want to park a space. And miraculously, a parking space would would, would appear. I I don't know whether it was the book or just coincidence. But manifesting is a big thing again. Good morning.
11: Good morning, TJ. How are you? Great. Yes, it is. It's become a buzzword. But I have to say, it's going back to beyond the 1800s. So, books are great things because they record great men, minds. Mm,
3: Could you and get a tiny bit the, closer to that phone for me, Susan? Oh, have, can you hear me now? Yeah, just a little bit closer. the an echo on it. That's great. Okay. That's better. Is, now.
11: That a, is that better now? That's
3: much better now, yeah. So, it goes All back, right, goes back a lot. It goes back before Rhonda Byrne, does it?
11: In a way before Rhonda Byrne. So, we have the privilege of going back to teaching from the, as far as the 1800s from writers curious about the human mind. So fast forward, we can take these teachings and take them to another level. And that's what Andrew Byrne did with The Secret, which is amazing. So for the first time, the law of attraction, which was known many, many years ago, that thought becomes things. And therefore, you can manifest your life has become mass general knowledge and part of pop culture. And as you mentioned, part of TikTok. Mm. Now, you mentioned the people just kind of sitting on the couch and wishing for for everything and anything, would I take an action? Well, there are usually two categories of people who have an understanding of the law of attraction. So category one, people who are only focused on the external material possessions. So a dream home, I want that dream car, I want that dream body, but I'll just sit here and wish for it. And there's a second category who, yes, they have clarity on the material possessions they want to acquire, but their main focus is on who they need to become to turn their dreams into physical reality. So their thoughts are aligned with their actions. So Mm. for example, this person, if they want their dream house, they're going to pay attention to who the person is in that dream house. So who they need to become. So is it great work ethic, confidence, and self-belief passion for what they do, great relationships. So when you start focusing on the mindset and character to get the material possession, that's when you really are a master of manifesting. Yeah.
3: That's kind of the clever bit, isn't it? That you know, say something a simple thing like "I, I need to, I need to lose two stone." You can't think yourself thin; you have to act yourself thin. So exactly. you can think, you can think about it all day, but it won't happen until you actually do something about it.
11: You're so right. So a lot of us are just thinking, you know, like those healthy teas that we just drink and think they're going to slim us down or that slim fast. Well, it might help. It's actually becoming the healthy person, becoming the person that wakes up and exercises first thing in the morning. The person that is actually conscious of eating those green vegetables and not eating as much and cutting down on the pasta or the rice. So you have to become healthy and fit in order to to be healthy and fit.
3: Yeah. Someone said to me one time, uh, Susanna, I have a very nice piece of advice. Do you know, at a time of change in, in my life, someone said to me, do you know what? what's really important is believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, you don't have the right to have anybody else believe in you. How important is that?
11: It's everything. It's everything, PJ. So, you know, there's another buzzword, self-care and Mm self-love. And self-care is about knowing yourself and what's best for you. So the more self-care you give yourself, the more self-love you'll get. And then you'll actually, amazing things will start happening because when you get the self-love, You'll feel the self-confidence, you'll feel the self-belief, you'll feel the self-worth, you'll have the courage to go out and achieve. And only when you start doing that and being that person will other people believe it. Yeah. Because if you don't believe it in yourself, how can other people believe in this?
3: Yeah. See, there's a thing too, and we were all brought up, well, I'm a bit older than you now, but I, I always remember a thing that older people would say like when I was young older people would say someone would appear on the television and they'd be confident and articulate and they would be making their point strongly I often remember actually God rest him the late Jonathan Philbin Bowman is, comes to mind but people used to say ah, he's very full of himself we have to get over that
5: don't yeah.
7: we? Yeah we really do because
11: that thinking comes from ego so it's thinking that you're great thinking that you're amazing. And that person isn't just thinking, that person is believing they are, so they're becoming it. So it's actually coming from the inside out. And the person sitting watching that person on TV is thinking they're full of themselves only because they haven't done the work themselves. But if they had done the work themselves to know what it takes to get to that level in terms of mindset, in terms of emotionally managing, Mm. They would say, I know what that takes and do you know what, fair play to that guy or that lady for achieving that Mm. because it takes a lot of work and it's all an inside job. It seems like it's invisible, but you will see it.
3: Do you think a lot of people grew up, Susanna, do you think a lot of people grew up with a lack of confidence and a lack of the ability to even communicate well because they took that message on board, don't be full of yourself?
11: yeah because anything that's said to you and that you believe whether it's coming from a parent a teacher a movie a radio show a tv advertisement it goes into your subconscious mind if you allow if you believe it and you allow it to believe, you allow it to go in so and um, that person who says do you know what you're full of yourself that's a bad thing they believe that it goes into their subconscious mind mm. and they'll act and behave according to that. So you need to get rid of that limiting belief first yeah. in order to be able to get over that That
3: You, you need to convince yourself, don't you, and be able to convince yourself and understand and be very certain that self-care and self-love do not make one selfish.
11: quote, I love that. I'll actually write that one down. Will you? Yes, yes, it's so true because people see selfishness as a negative thing. But you know, on board that plane, you're always told put on the oxygen mask before you attend to other people and including children. Mm. You must attend to yourself first, and that's not selfish because if you have nothing to in yourself, you've nothing to give.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I have. I'll finish up with 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 you. I have a friend who's a a therapist, and even if you meet in the street and you chat, she'll always finish with something that has stuck with me for years. Mind you, there's only one you. That's all part of this. Yeah.
11: Yes. I love that. Mind you, there's only you. Yeah. No matter where you go. You always take yourself. So start taking responsibility for things that happen because you're always the common denominator. Mind yourself, mind your mind, and just have fun.
3: Yeah, and be who you are and don't be a bit ashamed of it.
11: Exactly. All right. Exactly.
3: Susanna, great talking to you.
11: Great talking to TJ. Take
3: care. (laughs) Cheers. That's Susanna. Serratus uh, mind care coach uh, on manifesting It's look, this, you, can, you can take or leave what the secret was but we, we now have to focus on being the best of ourselves and look after yourself have rules that apply to you and if that involves telling people to F off until tomorrow because today is a ME day, then that's what you need to do and can you make it happen if you want it to happen? Well, you kind of have to do something about it. And that's the hard part. 1850
5: Can we just
3: talk? The opinion line on Cork's
1: 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural,
0: and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
1: Can we just talk? The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396
0: 96 96
1: on Courts 96 FM.
3: I've seen the lane down by the side of the Metropole over the last uh, few days Harley Street, hundreds, if not thousands, of coloured handprints. They arrived there uh, over the last few days, and Taoiseach Michal Martin and the Lord Mayor Joe Kavanaugh got together to, la- to launch. The initiative over the weekend. It's, it's a coming together of the Trigon Hotels Co Foundation and others. And Kathleen Lenehan is Strategic Director of HR at Trigon Hotels and can tell us more. Kathleen, good morning.
7: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
3: Good. It's gorgeous. It's just Thank wonderful. You. How did it come about?
7: Well, the idea came about really about nine months ago um, from a HR meeting and um, following the recruitment of our fourth member of Ability at Work. Um, we really just wanted to kind of symbolise the joining of the two communities together. Um, we then pitched the idea with our sales and marketing teams and then to our managing director, Aaron Mansworth, and um, they gave us their full backing and support.
3: Tell me a tiny bit about Ability at Work.
7: Ability at Work, are um, a, a, they're part of the Cool Foundation and they provide a person-centred support employment service which enables their members to choose a career path to be financially independent. Mm. And we linked up with them about two years ago, and um, we've been very fortunate to work very closely with their job coaches, who are really invaluable. And they come on site with their participants and they stay with them until they're comfortable in the workplaces. Mm.
3: It's a remarkable way of getting people into workplaces and coaching them and mentoring them until they're confident enough to, to take up a paying job. It's brilliant.
7: Exactly, because everybody has a, a different way of learning. Everyone has a different ability. And as employers, we really feel that it's, it's our job, really, to make, um, make the workplaces accessible for, for everybody.
3: Mm. Now, who did the artwork?
7: The artwork was done by Kevin O'Brien. He is um, from Mad Cork. And um, he did the words and then members of Trigon Hotel Group and Ability to Work and Co. Foundation came and placed their, their hands on the wall. And mm. I must say, Pat McDonald's were fantastic. They sponsored the paint for us. Which I'm just
3: looking, trying to figure out how many handprints are there. There's hundreds, if not thousands of them.
7: Oh, well, there's hundreds there, definitely. Um, some of us now put our handprints on twice, on twice. We got a bit carried away. But it, <laughs> it, was, it was really just a, a beautiful moment, to be honest. Yeah. And um, because the pandemic has been so difficult for all of us, but I, we've managed to, to retain our links with a co-foundation throughout yeah. the pandemic. Um, we ran a number of learning and development initiatives, which were attended by their members, we provided rooms for them so they could continue their one-to-one supports, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we just, we've, we've got a great bond in the last two years. And um, we've been very happy to have given four members employment and placed several of their members on, on work placement. Yeah.
3: No, it's lovely. And it's, in fairness to you, credit must be given to the group because you've made great use of that lane. Uh, throughout the pandemic, in particular, I remember I had mulled wine there on Christmas Eve,
7: <laughs> frozen, <laughs> it was lovely. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful street, and um, you know I think um, from going up there every day, you can see that a lot of people are, are using it much more, and, and hopefully now as uh, as we reopen, um, you know lots more people will come up and down that street.
3: It's lovely, absolutely, and congratulations on it, and look forward to seeing everyone in the Metropole at the weekend, cousin. Calling in for a visit because they're open again. Um, And that's great to see. It's beautiful. Take a walk down, you'll see that it's like the colour. It's a splash of colour. When the sun goes down that street, it's gorgeous. Absolutely wonderful. And that's kind of it for today. We've been busy. The programme, edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fiona Corcoran. And I'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers.